Ignore those shows like two weeks ago when we talked about the Toronto Maple Leafs having their own trade deadline, self-imposed trade deadline. Ignore that. Today is the real trade deadline. Three o'clock this afternoon. Maple Leafs already doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Happy Nick Foligno Day, J.D. Bunkus. Thank you. I'm very happy the team did two of the things that I said it was going to do. Because yeah, it's it's you'd rather be right than the the best but, moves possible happening. But, Even though I think these are some pretty good moves, you'd rather be right. But wouldn't you agree that a lot of times they're hand in hand? I will not agree. I will say mm. that in this instance, so you're not going to give. Agree. Yeah, you're you're not going to give me credit. Is that how we're going to start I, our I week? Can't, I can't. Well. Uh, First of you all, started I'm it with apoplectic. that lame deadline thing. So uh, let me give the no. I'm apoplectic that we're two minutes into the show and we're talking about me accepting that you're right. Yeah, I haven't seen you in three days. No one had Riddick except for with? me. No one had Riddick except for me. Well, we know you're a big save Dave guy. Just say the words that I want to hear, and then we can get on with the show. Uh, I get you were right on Dave Riddick. Yeah, and. And Nick Foligno. Yeah, thank you. Okay, all right. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I really do. It means a lot to me to be right and to feel as though my favorite hockey team is on a collision course with the Stanley Cup. This is an amazing day. This is one of those days where you get to wake up as a Toronto Maple Leafs fan and not... Curse whoever put this on you. Not think about why it is that one of your parents decided to buy you the blue and white stuff. Or why someone settled here in the southern Ontario region and made you a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Today is glorious. I can't remember many times where it felt this exciting for Leafs fans, right? I I always reference the 03 deadline where the Leafs went and loaded up. And the year, I think it was just the year before that where they went out and got Brian Leach. They've had free agency days that have had some measure of excitement, but this is, this is big. The Leafs are in this division where they've already proven without adding anything, they are the front runners. They are the big dogs on the block. They should be eating first at the table. The team is no doubt about it better today than it was a day ago. And I understand we can get into the debates if you want to say them. But for my money, all you need to do is ask yourself, do you have more confidence in the Leafs winning in the playoffs? Do you have more confidence in them coming out of the first two rounds against the teams in the North Division? And if the answer is yes, you have to look at what Kyle Dubas has done this season and say, man, bang up job. Bang up job, Kyle Dubas. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about it. Um, the return on Nick Felino, Giving up a first-round pick is a mm-hmm. subject of much ire amongst people, especially now considering the Taylor Hall deal is official and it just being a second-round pick. Now, of course, even with the salary retention, 50% of it, still $4 bucks uh-huh. that you got to absorb if you're the Boston Bruins as opposed to now 25% right. of Nick Felino's deal, which is just over a million bucks. But I'm sorry. We've had this conversation time and time again about this being such a singular moment 
in the history of this sport, in the history of this franchise, where not only are you built to win playoff series now more than you ever have been in this tenure, but your path to getting to at least a Stanley Cup semifinal has never been more direct. It's never been more obvious. And even if there was a better knowledge of what you could get in that first round where we had had a full junior season and there was some really interesting pieces at the end of that first round that you could really sell yourself on, even if that were the case and the Maple Leafs were playing in this North Division and, again, they had to go through Montreal and Winnipeg to get to a Stanley Cup semifinal, I'd be okay with giving up the first-round pick. But that's not the case. Of course. But that's not the case. We've talked to person upon person who understands the value of these prospects and draft picks, and this season is unlike any maybe ever in the history of this sport where the understanding of these 18-year-olds is so, so limited. There's just such a small amount of information to go on here that the difference between picking 25th and 40-something is not that significant. I I can't for the life of me understand somebody who's pulling their hair out because the Maple Leafs gave up a first-round pick for the captain of the team that just ground you to death death in a five-game series in the bubble last year. Haven't seen one credible person push back on this trade. I've only, I I got to tell you that I've been asking people like who is the pushback coming from because I haven't seen it. There was a t- like there wasn't even that much of my mentions when I was tweeting about excitement for this yesterday. I oh, I, I just I haven't man. it feels a it feels a little straw manny. It does. It, it feels like some people put themselves on Taylor Hall Island and so they're upset about it and now they have the added advantage of saying that Taylor Hall went for a second and Felino went for a first. Here's the thing. The Leafs first could end up being the 30th pick in the draft this year. And the Bruins, at last I checked, I think there's like 10 or 11 teams between where the Bruins sit points-wise today and where the Leafs do. So the Leafs' second-round pick is not as equal as the Boston Bruins' second-round pick. Even if they wanted Taylor Hall, which again, we've already gone over a billion times on the show why it didn't make that much sense for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Even if they wanted Taylor Hall, the price of acquisition may have been higher it may have been well if boston's offering us a second round pick well then you're gonna have to offer us something more maybe it is the first round pick maybe it is a second round plus the third round plus something else to get this deal done you also mentioned the salary retention okay so toronto like has to find another team that it wants to get involved in hall and maybe has to pay that price that to make sure that the salaries work they also went out and got riddick Right, they probably still wanted a little flexibility today to potentially add a depth defenseman. That's not probably done. not yeah. off the table for them. Right, they they had a multitude of moves. So putting all the eggs in the Taylor Hall basket didn't really make sense for them. You can still be right, by the way, as a Taylor Hall fan. And if you really want to hold on to that, I know I was jokes. It kind of sounds hypocritical to start the show with joking about wanting to be right and half joking and mm. telling people to chill out on the Taylor Hall thing. If Taylor Hall goes to Boston and he plays well, then you get to celebrate your takes about low shooting percentage and all of these different things. But here's the reality of the situation. Kyle Dubas started off with a reputation of this is the guy who's only going to look at the, the numbers and the he's going to be the modern GM and he's going to look at things differently and blah, blah, blah. And 
there's a certain sect of Leaf fans that really attach their identities to this. And hey, you're going to be this kind of a GM for our kind of thinking, and this is the way of the future, and look at them go. Sky's not been going out and getting Nick Patans and Dennis Malgans and taking flyers on guys. You know what he's been doing? Going out and getting big-ass vets. Jason Spezza, Joe Thornton, Wayne Simmons, Nick Foligno. If, if you think that intangibles don't matter, then you don't believe in Kyle Dubas because he's looked at this team and their failures over the last couple of seasons, and what has he thought? It's what he said when they had the exit interview last year. He was not BSing. The players were not doing it. They all said the same thing. It sounded so cliche. It really did. We need to be a harder team to play against. We need to be tough to play against. Mitch Marner said it, and it almost made me blow my top because I couldn't believe that he had a game in a Stanley Cup playoff series. Oh, it was, sorry, it wasn't a playoff series. Playing round, whatever that was against Columbus, that where he just admitted he basically didn't show up for it, and then he was talking about being tougher to play against. This team now has Zach Hyman, Wayne Simmons, John Tavares, Austin Matthews, Nick Foligno, Jason Spezza, like they are unbelievably hard to play against. This team is not going to be easier to, easy to score on. Look at the way that the blue line is built. If they get halfway decent goaltending, halfway decent goaltending, they should yeah. easily, easily, easily be one of the best four teams in hockey this season, the way that they are built. They are built for playoffs right now, and going out and getting a guy like Felino that does fit the room, that isn't going to make a ripple in a place where Joe Thornton is saying, I wish you guys could be here because it's such a fun group where they all seemingly love each other, who's going to come in, who's going to forecheck like a, mm, like a swear word, all right? <laughs> He's going to forecheck like a swear word. He's going to play on your penalty kill, which has not been that good this season. He's going to play on your power play, which has not lived up to expectation this season. He's going to bang in the odd goal, and he's going to be reliable in every big spot that you can imagine for your head coach. Add depth, add versatility, and you're worried about a first-round pick for that in an all-in year? Give your head a shake. Give your head a shake if that's what's going on today. And I don't mean to be speaking to the negative Nancys and the Nellies. This is just... This is just a time to be happy. This is just a time to be excited because the Leafs are getting a really, really good player and the price of acquisition is not what you're making it out to be. It's just not. And he wants to be here and his oh, desire everything. to... You know how many times Nick Foligno I didn't even probably, add the element of that it sticks it in Senators fans' eyes. That it, yeah. if Imagine Jason Spezza passing the cup to Nick Felino and having to be an Ottawa Senators fan and watching that. It warms my heart. But you don't think Nick Foligno has had a daydream of him wearing the blue and white, hoisting the Stanley Cup over his head, probably before he arrived at the National Hockey League level. Sure. But watching his dad play for this team in the postseason, one of the most exciting playoff yeah. runs we've all lived through in 93, you don't think young Nick was thinking about this day one day potentially arriving? He Not to say that Taylor Hall doesn't care, but like the idea... Yeah of Kyle Dubas going out and getting guys that explicitly care the most about this, yeah. I think is important. I, I kind of, I couldn't help but How think... How many times that, did you say to yourself, this team doesn't play desperate enough last year? Right. These guys right. don't play with desperation. These guys don't right. play with desperation. You know what they're going to play with when their backs are against the wall in the playoffs this year? Extreme desperation. They're going to be yeah. playing for Felino's Cup, Spetz's Cup, Thornton's Cup, Simmons' Cup, 
Tavares's cup, Matthew's cup. This is this is so cuckoo bananas that you could not be a fan of this deal. Great character guy. Everything. Just I don't know Can what the box the is that Felino's not checking for you. And they also explicitly wanted a rental. Normally, again, I hate these kind of moves because they set franchises back. But you know when I hate them? I hate them when a team is in the bottom tier when they're fighting for a 7-8 bottom tier playoff spot, like Columbus a couple of years ago with the Duchesne trade. I don't like those moves where they're clearly desperation for a GM that wants to get in the playoffs and trying to save their job and getting a lottery ticket when they're probably not going to go deep. And their pick ends up actually being semi-valuable or there was some guys in the draft. It's a strong draft class. They I know somebody's going to walk away from them or they have to overpay. The Leafs don't want to overpay. They want to keep their cap space open to make sure that they can address their goaltending and Zach Hyman in the offseason. Plain and simple. They wanted a rental during an all-in season. Someone who fit the mold for the playoffs, gave them versatility down the lineup, could kill penalties for them, and wouldn't make a negative impact in the room. If you look at this from not whether he's a better player than Taylor Hall, then you should understand explicitly. Hall. Again, facts don't matter for some people. <laughs> if you look at this through the lens of does this make the Toronto Maple Leafs better? Is this season important? Can you win a Stanley Cup? Are you in the right place to do this? You should find yourself wondering why you ever thought anything other than this was the right idea all along. Well, and congratulations to Kyle Dubas on evolving his thinking. And I'm, I'm thinking back to Alex Anthopoulos, who was back of the baseball card guy. He was, what are your stats? Like, what are your advanced stats? What is all these things mm-hmm. that I can quantify with my numbers – For a long, long time. And I'm not making this up. I'm not putting this on Alex Anthopoulos that he didn't say himself. In 2015, Mm -hmm. traded away a couple of guys that he didn't think meshed well with this team and Adam Lind and Brett Laurie. He changed his thinking that it was more than just about what you can do in an individual at bat. He evolved, and it resulted in one of the most exciting seasons in recent Blue Jays history. Kyle Dubas has done the Patan thing. He's... You don't think an earlier incarnation of, of Kyle Dubas might have pushed harder for Taylor Hall over Nick Felino? I think Kyle Dubas has seen, not the error in his ways, but he's seen what playoff hockey looks like and what this team needs to look like to win a couple of rounds and win a Stanley Cup, and it's the face of, of Nick Felino. I don't doubt that Taylor Hall can play well for the Bruins or provide the Bruins with what they're expecting. I don't even like making this about Taylor Hall. I just like making this about the Toronto Maple Leafs and what they needed. And they got a guy they needed. And if it's not the guy you wanted, it doesn't matter. You should just be looking at this knowing that the difference between the 20 picks of Taylor Hall versus Nick Foligno ultimately is going to be largely inconsequential. Go through the drafts year over year and look at the last five guys that are taken in the first round. Right? Even someone who Leaf fans are unbelievably excited for, and I am too, in Rasmus Sandin, you could just counter it and say, well, if the Leafs would have given up their second round pick, let's say, then that could have been a Nick Robertson, right? Mm -hmm. Just trust the draft and development staff that they are going to be able to find 
picks with the spots that they have. And not only that, people act as though if there wasn't some guy late in the first round, that it would be some impossibility for the Leafs to trade in and, and grab somebody. That's uh, still a thing, you know. There, no, There's no rule that says if you trade your first round pick, you're not allowed to trade to get one back. Yeah, I, so, I I, I'm not obsessing over draft picks, uh, even though they have I, just three now in the upcoming draft. A second, but there, the but there round. is a there is an opinion to have where you can say, hey, you shouldn't trade first round picks for rental players. That the uh-huh. the value is way out of whack. It's just that not everything is binary. You know, this is sports. The value you should of this be able season. to look at things in a exactly. This this is here's what we know. Here's what we know. This is a one and done deal with the North Division. It's not mm-hmm. coming back. As much as we want it to. We're agreeing too much. As much as we want it to, as much as we want to be in the stands at Scotiabank Arena next year for the three-game series against the Montreal Canadiens, it sucks, but it's not happening. This is it. It's a one-and-done year. One season. Mm-hmm. One playoff run you get where you have to go through this North Division, which is heavily flawed, and you're clearly the best in it. Right back into... The Atlantic next year, I guess, where you got to go through the Bruins and the Lightning. If that's not worth upping your draft pick capital that you're willing to give up at, at the trade deadline, I don't know what is. Like this is this 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 is like wait, Haley's Comet comes by once every hundred plus years. That's what we're living through here, people. Forgot about Haley's Comet. Good reference for thank you, people of our age. Hail Bob. I'm excited. Also. I don't know what that is. Another comment. Oh, okay. Big comment <sighs> guy. Why are you the way that you are? Yeah, that's very clear. <laughs> I, I'm i very excited for the Leafs. They're better today than they were a day ago. And the only, only, only way you could be upset is if you're in the camp of, well, this Stanley Cup doesn't count or whatever. That take, right? This is the Asterix Cup or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, this isn't going to be the Asterix Cup. It's going to be the most valuable cup for Canadians because you get to beat the, the Canadian teams, finish atop the North. If you come out of that division, you have bragging rights for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. So it's to me, it's more valuable. But I would like now a compilation of receipt-taking where whoever who the, all the people who are saying this doesn't matter, I'm not investing in this. This is an asterisk cup. You got to do the Game of Thrones walk with the bell, the shame bell, through the town for you to go to hopefully an eventual parade if this team does win. That's got That's the only way that you're allowed in to the yeah, actual that's parade. A, I mean, otherwise, it'll be a separate yeah, float you wear a scarlet letter. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have you someone a with a banner letter. who's like, hate yeah, fraud fans. Yeah. It'll be the fraud fans. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> Or the Larry David, you know, when he stole the forks in Curb. You got to wear the I'm a fork thief <laughs> tag. Oh, right. I forgot. You don't watch Curb, which is a real ugly part of you. But there's an episode where Larry David gets caught stealing cutlery from a restaurant. And his punishment from the judge is that he has to wear a sign around his neck in front of the west restaurant that says he steals cutlery. You're going to have to wear your tweet around your neck on a on a piece of bristol board that says your takes about this year not mattering or whatever the hell else that you believe so anyways leaves are better we've got a loaded lineup today we got cj we've got Bourne, who's going to join us for two hours of the show to keep breaking this down and we've got kevin bx and of course we'll be re- uh, reacting to trades as they happen there's still more leafs news to go over so we'll go over riddick and uh we'll, we'll go over everything else I, I don't think we got an opportunity to talk about riley nash right i think that happened no. on friday night yeah, okay. Yep. I like that move, too. Anyway, I like everything Toronto's done this deadline. This is just a check, 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 check across the board for me. It's 
NHL trade deadline day, friends. We are now five and a half hours away. And there's still more heavy lifting for Kyle Dubas to do. I believe uh, our next guest will know. Chris Johnston joins us next of Headlines Hockey Night in Canada. It is Good Show. Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right. NHL trade deadline day. Real trade deadline day. Maple Leafs uh, did not create their own. They're just uh, adhering to the rules and um, Hmm. getting everything done yesterday, mostly. Maybe there's some more to do today. Let's talk to CJ, Chris Johnson of Hockey Night in Canada, friend of the show. What's going on? They're not done. Come on. No. No, they're. I'll take it further. I know they're not done. They they still got at least one more move coming. Where's it going to be? Back end? I, I, I think it's likely to be a depth defenseman, yeah. Who are they targeting? Tough to say. You know, I, I think that the the rumors about Jamie Alexiak are true, but mm-hmm. you know, speaking with some other teams, not the Leafs this morning, it doesn't. There's some doubt in the marketplace whether Dallas will even move on from him. Uh, you know, he is an unrestricted free agent, but played well in the playoffs last year. Had a highlight reel goal yesterday. Um, you could see a scenario where he remains a star beyond the day. It gets a little thinner beyond that, um, but. You know, I, I would be surprised, given that the Leafs do have some cap space and and the LTI, uh, if they didn't make use of it. Uh, you know, I think that it's pretty clear based on what we've seen so far. They're they're all in, and and they don't want to leave themselves short anywhere. Yeah, so th- that's what I was going to ask you next: is the actual space that they have with Anderson on LTIR, and perhaps I guess on it for the rest of the regular season, if the David Riddick move means that they get the Riley Nash money. Like, how much wiggle room is there actually to to fit somebody in? It's about two point three million, roughly. Um, so you know, you're, you're talking about the potential to add a, a player. I mean, especially. When, you know, Foligno with double retention came in under one and a half million, you know, Riddick came in under one and a half with, with Calgary keeping half of his salary. I mean, just based on some of the moves we've seen so far, they, they do have room to to add something even more significant than just a number six or number seven D-man. Uh, it's not to say they will do so, but, you know, they got some flexibility here. And, you know, we've seen them basically add insurance, I would call Riley Nash, insurance up front uh the, the move made at the start of the weekend and then you know obviously riddick is is an insurance move in net and, and i think that you're going to see one uh, made on the blue line as well yeah so how much of the felino idea was that they wanted to have cap space for more acquisitions that they wanted to address depth like I did feel as though that part of the conversation was a little missing when people were comparing Taylor Hall to Nick Felino. Well, they got him at 25%, right? And, right. you know, essentially they have him right now at a cap hit that, you know, unless he was doing one of these Spezza Thornton sort of, you know, hometown discount kind of deals. I mean, they have him at a number you would never be able to get him at in pre-agency. And so that comes with a price, especially in, in a flat cap environment. Um, you know, obviously the, the, the cap space takes on even more importance and, you know, it explains why they gave up at least one of the extra fourths to San Jose. Uh, and, and I do think it kind of, you know, it gives us some some insight into, you know, how they got to where it got to with the, the, the Blue Jackets end of that trade. So, you know, it's um, – yeah, I think it was about preserving the ability to do more. They're, they're not boxed in now, and, and obviously they love the player. I mean, mm-hmm. they're, they're – they, uh, you know, it's funny. You're right. The, the Taylor Hall discussion is it, – look, it's it's an underwhelming return. I'm not painting it any other way, but I think the Leafs 
aren't, aren't just looking to, you know, they, they were addressing a specific need. And I think that they learned a little bit from Tampa. I really believe that, that this is a move, um, you know, patterned a little bit off of what they saw the lightning do last year and just how the lightning built their team in general. And really it goes back to the summer, you know, when they traded away Kapanen and Janssen, part of that was, you know, lessening some pure offensive skill in their forward group and, and, emphasizing other areas of the team. And, and I, I see this as kind of a natural extension of uh, a team rebuilding process that's been going on now for, for six months. So did they not have any interest in Hall at all then? They made this decision from the get-go. Their interest was going to be in Felino and not in Taylor Hall? They, they had conversations there, but my sense is that they were never, you know, they were, they were never close to anything. I, I, they, they weren't knocking down the door. Uh, but, you know, they kicked some tires to, to see what the, the prices would be and, and obviously to have a backup plan. I mean, there was at least two or three other teams that were very serious about acquiring Nick Foligno. And, and, you know, obviously in that context, there was a chance the Leafs weren't going to win out and get him. And, and, you know, then you'd have to go to, to some secondary plans. Um, so, you know, they, they, they did sort of sniff around, but I, I don't get the feeling they ever really wanted him. In fact, I think we, we know that if they wanted him, they, they could have offered some of the assets that, they gave up in the Plano deal and gotten them because, you know, they, they, they paid a heftier price than, than the Bruins did at Hall. Yeah, and uh, although I keep looking at that too and where the Bruins are going to pick this year and where the Leafs are going to pick this year, and I, I again, I think this stuff is very, very easy on paper to look at and say, wow, what an overpay. But I, I also would have to imagine that if Toronto offered the same deal for Hall, it wouldn't have been the same because, again, they would have had to add more cap retention. They would have had to offer a different kind of pick because their second would not have been as high as Boston's this year that it still looks a little it's a little dissimilar to what would have actually been there so the thing I find most interesting about this CJ is is the stuff that you touched on there with learning from Tampa Bay and how it's such a copycat league right it's this is always the way that things are done. GMs look at what the other GMs are doing and the successful teams are doing, and they try to replicate it. And one of the things about Dubis was when he first came in here, it was a little bit of, well, this guy is going to do things differently. This guy isn't going to be the same kind of GM. Do you, Where are you at just with his kind of philosophies overall and him learning on the job right now? Because it does seem like a pretty big leap from the guy who first arrived here to the guy that we're seeing now, if you just look at this offseason, what the goals were, and I, I think he accomplished those goals, and then this year's trade deadline. Well, I still have him as one of the absolute top GMs in the league um, sure. because I think I think that you see the Leafs show way more creativity than pretty much any other team in their maneuverings. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they've managed to do, you know, to, to be a, a team squeezed by the cap and still build this roster out and still, and not have traded anyone at this deadline off their, their roster, not have traded any of their top dra- uh, draft prospects. You know, I, I think that we see far more creativity from the Leafs front office than pretty much anyone. Part of it's by necessity, obviously. they got a lot of young players making a lot of money, and so that creates challenges that not every team's dealing with. But, you know, I, I, I don't find any real area to, to criticize Kyle Dubas at this juncture, honestly. I mean, we could find a move or two, but in general, from 10,000 feet, there isn't much there. And, you know, I, I think if he hadn't learned and adjusted on the fly, he wouldn't be doing his job. You know, I think what's clearly changed is at one point he wanted to build something that looked like an all-star team or he had some theories that, you know, if you had way, 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 way more scoring talent than any other team, if you had a third and a fourth line, that, that, you know, had players that, that were offensively dangerous, that that would overwhelm other teams. I think that's where the adjustments come in. You know, where, what they saw from Tampa 
and and the Lightning's playoff run, you know, I I don't know how many people are sort of remember it well. I mean, they basically had one scoring line in that that playoffs. That was a devastating scoring line. You know, Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov had had massive playoffs. You know, obviously they got a lot from Victor Hedman offensively too in in, in their run to the Cup final. But you know, the rest of their their lineup, you know, like the the, the Barkley Goodrows and uh, Blake Coleman line. I mean, those guys gave them next to no offense. And and you know, I think that what the Leafs took away from that is that if you play a certain way defensively, you get enough saves, which is still probably a little bit of a question mark or a debating point around the Leafs. You know, you can get by with with having special elite talent. And so I you know, I think that they've de-emphasized a little bit having a third line that's that's you know, the other team fears what they can do offensively because they've become a much better defensive team and, and the numbers are there for everyone to see, you know, this this year, their their shots, their high danger chances, rush chances against. I mean everything is is dramatically improved. And I think that's partly how the roster is constructed. Obviously a bit of a mindset and and everyone in the organization maybe embracing things a little bit differently philosophically than they have in the past. But, you know, to me, it's the evolution of a young GM that we've seen from Kyle Dubas. And as I said, you know, we, we can change our opinion on this just as he's changed his opinion, maybe on how to build the team. But at this stage, I think he's, he's elite at what he does too. And he's going to play a big part in the success that this organization has. I totally agree. And I, I'm going to expand on this a little later with Bourne, but I, I do think that Kyle Dubas is actually very, very representative of how we should all sort of be when it comes to uh, our, our opinions on hockey and the way that we watch this game. So you mentioned it already that Riddick, you believe, is insurance, right? That this is not a move that's being made because he's the backup now, that this is a move being made in case one of the other goaltenders is not healthy for the playoffs. Correct. Yeah, you know, I, I believe... You know, what the Leafs think is that if Frederick Anderson comes back healthy, which, of course, there's still some question about that, that with the way Jack Campbell's played, that they would have one of the better tandems in the league. And and so, you know, they still view Freddie Anderson highly in, inside this organization. I think that they feel better that for the first of his five years here, it's sort of unfortunate that this has arrived just as Freddie's gone down injured, you know, for the last few weeks. But, you know, they actually have another goaltender they're comfortable sort of platooning with him. Uh, and and they see a potential recipe for success there. Let's remember, any team that plays deep in the playoffs, other than the Lightning, let's ignore them for this case, usually is playing two goalies at, at some point during that playoffs. You know, Vasilevsky carried Tampa right from start to finish last year. But in general, you know, you're, you're going to need at least two guys playing games. You know, I think Riddick gives them, you know, one more guy to put in front of Michael Hutchinson to play a big game, which, you know, I think would do respect to Michael Hutchinson. He's, he's shown a lot of improvement this year. Uh, for the Leafs, but you know, I don't think everyone was comfortable with the, the potential of that happening. But you know, my understanding is the focus is very much on getting Anderson back healthy. And you know, I, I still think we, I don't think we've seen him play his last game in a Leafs uniform. You know, I'm, I'm willing to go that far. I, I do think that we see him come back and and probably play a game in the playoffs, unless Jack Campbell never loses a game ever again. Which I mean is not out of the realm of possibility, seemingly. Um... So, so it sounds like it's a depth defenseman move today, which means that the top prospects are remaining, right? Like the Rasmus Sandins, Nick Robertson, they should be breathing a sigh of relief today. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some degree of nervousness because anything could happen. And, you know, the Leafs do have some cap room that if they want to get really bold and do something, but I, I just don't see it. It doesn't really align with, with you know, wh- where they're at. I think, the, you know, the way they feel about their team, uh, and, and really look at the market that, you know, after Taylor Hall goes, there's really not a 
it's not a ton of impactful players out there still to to be traded today. You know, most of the moves we're going to see from now until 3 p.m. and a little after is is depth type of players. So, you know, I think those prospects probably take on even more importance, frankly, for the Leafs because, you know, they are down to three draft picks this year and four next year with the moves they've made. I think it's the right move. Don't don't confuse that with criticism. I, I think they should be all in. But, you know, the, the, the few prospects you have that are really trending towards being potential impactful NHLers are, are really important when you're not adding more behind them in to the pile. And so, you know, I would think at minimum Sandy and Robertson are full-time members of this team uh, next season. Amarov's a little farther off, and, and Lilligren is a, is a bit of a wild card. But, um, you know, I, I think ultimately the Leafs have decided to keep those guys, and, and I think we'll be seeing them play uh, by necessity here in the near future. Which, again, is just another reason to be excited about this deadline is you didn't touch any of your high-level prospects. You'd much rather give up the lottery ticket of the pick that could, again, end up being the 30th overall pick in a difficult draft to decipher than give up a Nick Robertson or a Rasmus Sandin. So, to me, this continues to be a win. You kind of just touched on it. You said that we're probably only looking at depth moves. Who do you you think is the most impactful player that's actually on the table right now uh, that that teams are looking at that is available? It depends if he... uh, It's a tough one. Like, I'm really looking at Vegas right now. A couple. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Vegas was in on Taylor Hall and didn't get him. Uh, You know, I still think they're somewhat hopeful or at least hang around to see if Ryan Getzlaff might wave a no-move clause to come there and if they can make that work caps-wise. I mean, I don't know where Ryan Getzlaff is at this stage of his career. You know, not only is he, you know, getting getting uh, late in his career, but, you know, he, he hasn't had to play a lot of meaningful games in Anaheim the last little while. But, you know, I, I, I think that that would be a big wow move if, if it were to go through, especially because Vegas, you know, has designs on winning a Stanley Cup and, and you know, have an obvious need at center. And, and I think they could talk themselves into that kind of player as a two or three center making a difference for them. Um, you know, I, I don't see a lot of surprises out there, though, beyond that, to be honest. I mean, you know, we, we know some of the, the names I mentioned, like Alexiak might move, you know, Dmitry Kulikov. We're talking you know, the Luke Lindennings of the world. Let's face it, this is what the deadline is a lot of the time. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's a bombshell coming today. The closest would be if, if Getzlaff waves and moves, and, and I could see that happening potentially with Vegas if, if it happens at all. But, you know, we looked into this on the weekend. We talked about it on headlines a bit. You know, I, as of as of Saturday, anyway, it didn't seem like he was inclined to to, to waive that no-move clause and, and consider life anywhere but the Ducks. But we'll, we'll see. He's got a few hours to make that decision. So no Johnny Goudreau move then. That's maybe an off-season thing. Well, Hopefully I'm wrong. I mean, because what I'm describing isn't very compelling, even though we're down to a five-hour show. It's still not giving many people reasons to tune in. Um, I, I, but I don't see Goodrow. Like, obviously Calgary would consider it, but you know, we, we we saw what Taylor Hall's value was in this marketplace. You know, I I don't think Johnny Goodrow has that much value. You know, when you consider some of the cap implications, how few teams could make that move easily, and you know. He, He's 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 going to get painted in some ways like Taylor Hall does. The, the team hasn't had much success with him as as you know it's the most dynamic offensive player. And so, you know, as time goes on, I I just don't think that that he has the same cachet he would have if they were trading him two years ago. Um, you know, but but there'll be look there'll be something that I'm not seeing coming here, but it just doesn't feel it. I, I've been on the phone all weekend, frankly, since Friday. It's been crazy, and you hear versions of all the rumors, and I just. 
I haven't heard one rumor really that, that's making everyone go like, wow, that, that would be crazy if that happened. Yeah. Maybe your peripheral vision was on the Masters yesterday. Were you able to watch any of it? Oh, my God. I fell asleep in the back nine on the couch. <laughs> it, it wasn't that great. It didn't seem that great, eh? No, there was a potential moment there. If Shoffley just doesn't gag like few people have ever gagged in the history of this tournament by putting it in the water on 16, two-stroke lead after Matsuyama just bogeyed 15, that could have been a real thing. But, yeah, that was it. It was like mm, five minutes there where you're like, ooh, this is interesting, and then it was over. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I miss Tiger. I mean, I still love golf, but it's not – we don't have the buzz, man. No, it's true. I think no, we all saw that. Uh, someone tweeted, I tweeted something it might have even along been you those guys. lines, and the golf hardos got quite upset. I got to tell you. <laughs> oh yeah, well, they're they're in denial. Then I mean, they're talking themselves into storylines. Like, of course, because what was what was so compelling about Tiger, of course, is that you didn't even have to know anything about golf to be drawn to him and want to watch and to make yeah. to make a moment be a moment. You know, you know the hardest core people. Like I can watch a, a one nothing hockey game and find something to enjoy, but I recognize the average sports fan probably sees that and clicks by it you know that that's that's the difference yeah it is uh, i miss tiger as well i don't think the pga tour is in trouble though because all they have to do is uh go to rolex and be like hey do you want to run a commercial here they're like yeah i don't care how many people are watching <laughs> the people that are watching have lots of money so yes we'll give or you could be the masters and be like we have so much money we don't even do commercials like we just decided we don't <laughs> we're, we're gonna we're gonna turn that money away because we don't need more money <laughs> it's true uh, CJ, thanks for doing this on a busy day. We'll be watching at noon today on Sportsnet. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. And uh, I think it's going to be an interesting stretch drive for the Leafs. And I was expecting a little more. You guys not being happy with those moves, but oh. I think it's I think it's sneaky good to, to see Nick Foligno come here. I think it's uh, more than sneaky. Uh, CJ, thanks, buddy. Talk soon. All right, see you, boys. See ya. It's Chris Johnson. When we come back, uh, Justin Bourne in for the rest of the show. He of the uh, NHL on Sportsnet. It is good show. Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus. Trade deadline day. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Can't beat him. Join him. Leafs acquiring a couple of members of that Columbus Blue Jackets team that beat them in five games in the bubble last year. It's a NHL trade deadline day. Three o'clock Eastern this afternoon. We just heard from Chris Johnston that he's... Pretty certain the Maple Leafs are going to make at least one more move today. Let's talk to our pal, Justin Bourne, of the NHL on Sports Hub. What's going on, Bourne? Not a whole lot. Well, I shouldn't say not a whole lot. Stuff's going on today. Hockey yeah, trades. Yeah. I was going to say, <laughs> things, things are going on. Things are happening. Things are moving and shaking. Here's what I will tell you, though. My guess is that you are basically the go-to correspondent for .ca today when moves happen to break down little instant reactions. Am I correct? That is a thing. I, yes, indeed. Yeah. Over the next two hours, I I, I can't imagine that uh, you're going to be disappearing that often. And if you are, <laughs> you better have your deep notes ready, buddy. You better have yeah. some deep cuts on seventh yeah. defenseman and, and bottom six forwards. It's like a, on uh, draft day when uh, it was a Columbus took Chinnikov or whatever the guy's name yes. was. And everyone, oh, yes. Was like, uh, about yeah. that. <laughs> He's a player. Yeah, hey, he's a guy who skates. Sounds he's Russian. A, he's a checks notes six three according to the Russian government. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, and nineteen, not twenty seven. I swear. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. So let's just start with this: simple and easy. How are you evaluating the moves by Kyle Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs as they as they currently stand today? 
Well, I would, uh, you know, if you went back and listened to a lot of our previous conversations, Nick Felino was the guy that made the most sense to me. And mm-hmm. what makes the most sense is something that you, JD, have talked about extensively about previous Leafs teams that they had tons of good players, but the puzzle pieces never seemed to fit. You know, like Tyson Berry was a nice ad, but like it wasn't mm-hmm. what they needed on the back end. And uh, this, this is the opposite of that, where. You know, I'm sure they, I'm very confident they could have had Taylor Hall, you know, had they wanted to. And, you know, maybe the acquisition cost would have been a bit more. But I think they chose Nick Felino because of how he fits into the lineup and where he fits into the special teams. Like, penalty killers has been a big void up front for this Leafs team. And now they got a good one. And, like, how about a team that expects to have a lot of leads? Someone you could trust to put out there and protect leads, to play physical, to not need 20 minutes a night of ice time, to not need PP1 time. He just fits like a really good puzzle piece. Uh, So, yeah, big fan. I also, uh, my next conclusion is just that we're not going to see Freddie Anderson until the playoffs. Maybe hmm. not. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, it just, it, it doesn't seem to me like, well, for one, I will say, now now looking back at this, I think that Freddie Anderson was never going to play until playoffs. And part of like, yeah, you could see him any day from everyone was just so they had some leverage in negotiating to get goalies from other teams. Other teams didn't know that their backs were up the, uh, against the wall and they were desperate, but I feel like they had some idea this was going to be the case. All of a sudden, that opens up a lot of salary cap space for them to play around with. But even if he's going to be ready in two weeks, I mean, you might as well just wait wait for four and have a much better team when you head into the postseason. Yes, that'd be a dicey scenario to throw him in if Jack Campbell does stub his toe a bit, which is not out of the realm of possibilities, playing lights out, lights out hockey. But I, I it's that's a long stretch of time to play at this level into the postseason and the 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 idea of having two goalies that you can throw out there if one falters you go to the other one and maybe there's not a huge differentiation between the two like that's that's a different deal if a guy has not played a regular season game all of a sudden he's activated and is jack campbell's backup going to the postseason that's that's a dicey situation to put him in there for the first time in months it is, and let's not forget that Freddie is a historically slow starter. Um, mm-hmm. You know, come come playoff time, so or sorry, come the start of the regular season, his October's are generally not good. So yeah, you don't love the idea, but I think the opportunity to make your team substantially better um, in a number of positions, you know, shore up the you know with Riddich coming in, but Felino as well and Nash, like it just, I think it's a dice that that, that they had to roll. It makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I I think that's a fair conclusion. I still remain a little in doubt about it. And I also don't look at Riddick as simply insurance for Anderson. I just think the Leafs needed goaltending depth. They need blue line depth. They're probably going to add it today. They needed someone who has versatility in their lineup, who's going to fit the room. And that's why they grabbed Foligno. They needed some insurance down the middle in case there was an injury. They got that with Riley Nash. Basically, they've just they've checked all the boxes to me. So, yeah, I, I guess we can look at Riddick as, hey, this is just about this is just about Freddie Anderson. I don't. I think it's also about Jack Campbell and the fact that he's been dealing with that leg injury, and this team sure. just needed to make sure that they had another step. They had another piece between them and Michael Hutchinson, much like adding the depth defenseman is another piece that uh, fits in between that and Martin Marincin. Yeah, what's wild, too, is like Colorado is the exact template for what the Leafs were afraid of. You know, you look at them last season where they get a goalie injury and suddenly two goalie injuries, and it's literally Michael Hutchinson, and they're not winning. 
<laughs> you know, it was like he won that game. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, but you're like you don't want to have your season torched because of something like that. And when you have two maybe injured goalies, it was even more important for the Leafs. I thought it was a place that they, um, you know, they didn't need to roll the to roll the dice. Mostly because I thought Freddie might be back any minute now. Uh, it seems like this is something more seriously. It sounds like something that a player could play with, but for a goaltender, it's just a little bit too much torque on the old knee. So. Hopefully Man. all this rest gets him back to healthy. They're trying to win the Stanley Cup, and if that's the goal, you want to have him be as healthy as possible. And, of course, it comes with risk trying to throw him into a playoff game. But, yeah, so does everything. So would throwing Riddick into a playoff game. So would throwing right. Hutchison. So it would be risky to go in without insurance. And so, yeah, for for my money, it's just it's just a smart move. It's a solid move. And... If they win, they're probably going to need Freddie Anderson at some point. I want to go back to Nick Foligno, though, for a second, because there's this debate about Hall. There's this debate about Foligno. There's this discussion about overpaying. I, I don't think it's an overpay. I think it's a good fit. I already outlined the reasons why I like it. But you're someone who knows Sheldon Keefe, and you're someone who knows Kyle Dubas. I would assume that based upon everything we've heard about their relationship – Dubas and Keefe would have had extensive conversations about what to target and what this team needed heading into the deadline. So one, I guess if you could speak on a little bit of that, but two is mm. how do you think they're going to use Felino in this lineup? Because that's the real point of curiosity to mm -hmm. me is, is where he fits in now. Yeah, the, you know, it's actually really in, in, uh, interesting because this trade highlights an evolution uh, in Kyle Dubas's thinking over the years, as you know, coming from a young general manager where he was just like, get the best players, get the best players, put the best players on the ice, and everything's going to work out. And generally, I think that's a pretty good theory. But this shows that, that, you know, he has evolved from that. I look at the Toronto Marlies, and, you know, the year that we had all of the current Leafs, the, you know, with Connor Brown, but also, you know, Nylander and Kapanen and Hyman, yada, 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 all those guys. You know, we we ran up against a veteran team, and and got beat by essentially a Columbus or you know the Boston team that stopped this. And I think it was around then he started realizing that it just wasn't. It was going to work to win the division in the regular season, but being built that way was not great for the postseason. Uh, the next season, uh, the Marlies brought in guys like. Uh, Chris Mueller and Vincent Loverd and uh, older guys who'd been around the American League that I know a lot of people don't know those names, but they're older, like they're AHL All-Stars, essentially, but they're old guys. And all of a sudden the team gets through and wins a Calder, uh, Calder Cup. I think combine that with his time with Lou, and you have a guy who recognized that to win, you need elite skill first and foremost because you can supplement around it later. And this was the supplementing around it later that, yeah, you can quibble about the cost. Maybe it's a bit too much, uh, depending how you look at it. I personally think it's a pretty reasonable rate. But, yeah, um, yeah they, they, you're able to get these guys. You're not able to go out and find Mitch Marner or whoever. So uh, just quickly on the cost... I'm a little confused as to why people are so upset about it because it's – I've mentioned this already, but nothing is binary. When you're a team at the very top, that means your draft pick – and normally I hate when people do, well, it's actually a second-round pick. Well, no, it's still a first, but it's very close, right? And the <laughs> yeah. last time the Leafs picked where they essentially are, I, they took Igor Korshkov with the 31st overall pick in a draft. And so now they're going to be picking 30th. That's the kind of player that you're looking at right now. Maybe they hit on it. Maybe they don't. But 
the the idea that they have sacrificed some kind of a lottery pick or they're in a stage in their development where that's the thing that they need more than someone like Felino is nuts to me. The other part is you overpay everywhere. Like retaining your own talent, they have overpaid to keep their guys. You want to go out in free agency, you have to overpay to get free agents unless they're the veteran guys like the Thorntons and the Spetzes and the Simmons that desperately want to win here. You overpay there. You it just like there's no places where you don't overpay to get a like yeah, high level you draft talent. an ELC guy, an entry level right. guy. Right. Right. So the idea that this is some over okay, great. They they would have overpaid somewhere else. And they underpaid to get the other veterans they got that helped put them in the position that they're in right now. So to me it's just is your team better? Are you more well equipped to win a Stanley Cup in a season where that is a realistic possibility, where you are one of the best teams in hockey with an incredible opportunity based on the competition you're gonna face to get to an Eastern Conference Finals? It, those answers are yes. Then, then you should be happy. Then, then you should feel good about today. So, yeah, you, you touched on the evolution of Dubas, and I, I think it's a great conversation. But the thing with Keith, do you think that Felino is going to be on the second line? Because that's what we kept thinking where he would be. Do you think that they give where, – where is this guy going to get looks? Do you think it's going to be super creative? We know penalty kill and power play are a lock. But minutes-wise, is this someone that's going to help Tavares and Nylander play more minutes? Is he going to be in a shutdown role? How do you how do you see it? Like, what's your initial well, thought for where he it's, starts? It's such a good question. Honestly, I I am sure they are torturing themselves uh, over over where to put him because you can put him on all three lines uh, mm-hmm. and make some sense of it. You know the 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 reason going into the deadline here that I had been clamoring for Felino was that I wanted to see more Tavares and Nylander in a way that you know the the coach would trust them more and all maybe we could give Willie Nylander 18 minutes a game if there's two guys on the line that have defensive strengths right um you know you're paying him and Tavares so much money he's playing 16 minutes a night like that's it just seems like such a waste of resources so that that was my initial thought but you know, it still in that case feels like it leaves your third line wanting a little bit because, like, Hyman looks so good with Marner and Matthews. It's really it's just hard for me to say you should move him out of there. Those guys are just an absolute powerhouse. So it's a tough call. Um, you know, Hyman, Mikheyev, en- Engvall, pretty darn good. Or, sorry, um, Felino, Mikheyev, Engvall is pretty darn good. I don't know that it's great. So it's a, it's a really really tough decision. I, I honestly I don't have a preference. I want to see. I hope they get some run with all the all the lines and kind of see what works. Maybe there's some natural chemistry somewhere. I think Riley Nash is kind of the guy that that is the the ingredient that right, makes him. this make a <laughs> lot more sense, right? If he is healthy for the postseason and he's centering that third line, maybe with McKeev and Hyman, and that's the thing that we've seen uh, at times where those two wingers are the actual shutdown line that you hope to have going into the season, then it's a lot easier to put Felino on that second line. Like, I, I feel like Riley Nash is sneaky important to what you want to do here come to the postseason. Hello? Oh, okay, oh I think Justin Bourne's gone. No, I'm just oh, terrible at hitting the mute button. Okay. Um, <laughs> were you going to say something, J.D.? Well, I'll jump in even to add for... So when I watch Saturday night's game against Ottawa, it's hard to have takeaways against Ottawa. But I sort of like the Christopher Stieg idea, which is put Tavares with 
choppers, guys who go into the corners and work and dig and can get him the puck and are going to set him up and who can also play defensively. That You can actually have the best of all worlds here. I, I would love if the Leafs entertain the idea of loading up the first line with Nylander, Matthews, and Marner and doing a Felino tavares hyman line and then just simply saying the third group Maybe it involves Riley Nash. I actually do believe that ideally it would involve Riley Nash, Mikheyev, and uh, maybe even a Kerfoot, where you say you've got three defensive guys, three guys who uh, can skate, three guys who can eat some hard minutes for you in a postseason matchup. But if they just lean into their top six and say, let's put the best six players all together, to, that actually provides me with what I think could be the most interesting combination of players. I, I would love just to see that experiment my, my only thought is, well, how much time do you have? Do you want to waste time if you don't think that's the eventual right. goal? But also, isn't the point of getting Felino and knowing that these guys have been playing together for the most part, the rest of them anyways, for a long period of time, that it gives you that extra wiggle room? Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's a ton of uh, discovery for those guys in the top six. They've all played with each other enough that you're right. It shouldn't be a huge idea to mix them up. Uh, so I'll admit I had the exact same thought today, J.D., just that, like, in the past, the thinking with the, the Leafs has been, okay, you know, the the top two lines are going to roll over all their competition. And then the third line, you know, remember for a while it was Nazem Kadri should be able to just feast in that third line role or, you know, whatever we talked ourselves into is the third line last year. But th that was the thinking. The problem is those top two lines didn't really feast. They were good, but they weren't rolling over the other team's best lines. I feel like by top loading that the, the top six, like genuinely you are – you're talking about the best line in hockey probably with if you put Matthews, Marner, and Hyman or Matthews, Marner, and Nylander. And then a, a second line that could be an absolute powerhouse too. So if you genuinely have two lines that are going to win you a ton of your matchups, doesn't matter who you play or how you start them, you're a lot less worried about what that third and fourth line can do and will do. So that that would be a temptation. What's What's going to be interesting is, you know, Keith loves to experiment, and he's going to have like a dozen games here, and you don't want to go into the playoffs tinkering. You're like, you'd like to have this thing set with a handful of games left, so... Uh, they, they tinkered last year in the playoffs, time. though. They tinkered with yeah. the Tavares and loading up. Like, they did the biggest tinker in the most high-leverage spot. So I, desperate. I, I guess maybe you don't want to do that, but they did it. There's, right. there's already, uh, yeah, there's already a precedent for a move like that. Yeah, well, I was thinking it was a game five that they did that last year. They put Tavares mm -hmm. up with Marner and Matthews. Yeah. Right, uh, and the Nylander was centering a line in game five. Which that was is... a bit desperate. Eh? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that's not what you want. <laughs> oh, yeah, none of that so hopefully we get all the tinkering out of the system uh, early on you know it's going to be interesting too a lot of this is like how is everyone going to look like is Riley Nash going to be able to be the Riley Nash that shut down the Leafs yeah. or helped shut down the Leafs with Columbus and Boston in the past you know is what's Freddie going to be a lot of this does come down to health but I do feel like this season comes down to health more than, more than ever how healthy is your team as you move deeper into the playoff rounds uh, having insurance at all the positions is going to be important which is why it's important for them to get at least one more defenseman today uh, they, they would feel very shallow after a single single injury or two yeah go get a blue liner go get a defenseman but the depth thing is it it's not sexy but to me, it's just so unbelievably important that if you lose a center in the playoffs, 
if you lose someone that Riley Nash can step in instead of what? Forcing Joe Thornton to play third line center, you know, asking Jason Spezza that he has to now give you more minutes, going down your lineup and saying, hey, Barabanov is in, or God, Adam Brooks, yeah. you know, something where yeah. you're really feeling bad about it, where you're feeling oof. I, I can't imagine that Riley Nash, even coming off the street cold, is not giving you better minutes down the middle than a lot of those guys, right? You don't have to force a move that's as uncomfortable. It's just about having flexibility, about having depth, more options. You have more options today than you did a while ago. And again, it's the same thing with Felino. And I, I, I wish I could be a fly on the wall for the discussions that happened between Dubas and between Keefe when it came to the roster construction, it came to Felino. but I just, I really do believe that part of it, the difference between Taylor Hall and Nick Felino, some of it had to be, well, one, we need to get the penalty kill better, and he's going to do that. Two is he's a better defensive forward, and for everyone who is an analytics person, that that's proven. Like, that's yeah. there. Everybody he's still in a high level. Exactly. Everybody still agrees that this guy's a high-level defensive player. But the other part is that just situationally, if your roster needs to have you move pieces around to be a little bit more effective if something isn't working, I, I don't think that you could have done that with Taylor Hall the same way that you could with Felino. You're not putting Taylor Hall down on your third line if you need him to have minutes on your third line, right? You're just not. He needs yeah. to be in a very, very hyper-specific role. And if that role doesn't work out, well, then you just moved real significant pieces into the middle for something that didn't really help you that much. Yeah, I, all I can think about with the Hall thing is like, you know, let's say you're up one nothing or two, whatever two one uh, mm. with a few, you know, four minutes left in a hockey game. Right, you don't is see he playing. Him. You know, no. you don't even see him. You know, you know, and and all of a sudden Nick Foligno's the guy you're taking time out to get him out there again. You know, yeah. like it's it's a totally different. Uh, usage factor for those two players and the Leafs have plenty of guys who need the, the usage that Hall gets. So that was never a fit and that's why you hear people say um, you know, I think CJ said to you guys that like, you know, maybe they kicked tires on Hall but they, they didn't really want him at the end of the day. Um, another thought I had while you, you guys are talking there is just about Joe Thornton and how there is the awkward situation Doesn't fit. here where, yeah, where it's bad. <laughs> you know, like he's he is a big personality, and they say he's a big part of the locker room, and the guys love him, and like he's not one of their twelve best right now. No. Nope. So question about it. What you kind of have to have happen is like have him accept that, and then I love the situation where he's in the press box and rests and doesn't play for a couple games, and then you get a fresh Joe Thornton coming in. I think he could give you a great ten minutes with fresh legs. You know, I think of Patrick Marlowe and his stubbornness at the end of his career to keep his uh, his playing streak alive. Do you guys remember that? Yes, of course. He didn't accept a, a healthy scratch because he, you know, he wanted to keep that streak alive. And then somewhere along the line with the Leafs, he got extra rest. I forget what it was. Maybe maybe there was something. Anyway, he got extra rest, and I think the Leafs had a week off. And he came back, and he, his legs were, like, popping. He looked great for two games before he lost him again. And it's because he's old. It's because he's old, and that's what Joe Thornton is. And so with rest, he might be a great fit, but how do you convince him and the team? Thornton needs to be a guy who comes in and plays every third game. You know how you convince the team? Is that Joe Thornton had to have been brought in with this possibility. You can't tell me that this wasn't discussed when the guy's 42 years old. And if I'm Joe Thornton and I'm looking at this, I want to win a Stanley Cup, and this is how you do it. He's. I think Joe will get in the lineup at some point, but 
Do you guys remember when he Joe looked Thornton best? Joe is playing playoff games. Yes. Right. He's playing playoff games. But when did Joe Thornton look best? Early in the season. Start of the year. Yeah. Joe Thornton looked good. There was a real moment where everyone thought there were articles written about his production. Yeah, he got to play way up the lineup. I don't think he's going to be all of a sudden nailing down that kind of point total when he's down there with Spezza. But you cannot tell me that after a few days rest where the Leafs all of a sudden inject him into the lineup and you've got a third line or a fourth line, sorry, maybe of Thornton, Spezza, and Wayne Simmons or some Mm -hmm. compilation of that, and you're giving them offensive zone starts – that you're not going to feel a lot better than that from where you were a year ago. Oh, God, yeah. No, it's – so, you know, I was just thinking as you're saying that about uh, Stamkos. And, like, Stamkos last right. year won his Stanley Cup, played three minutes for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Scored that goal, though. Yeah. yeah. Ask him if he doesn't goal. think it mattered for him. Ask him if right. he thinks that it doesn't count for him. Right. Absolutely agree. And if you're Joe Thornton, it would absolutely count if you're getting in every third game or it takes a couple injuries before you're a part of it. But like day one, like game one, you know, Montreal versus the Toronto Maple Leafs in Toronto, Joe Thornton's probably in a suit. It feels awkward, it feels wrong, but it's probably the case. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to be interesting to see how they deploy this lineup for the final sub-20 games of the season, too. Uh, I mean, we're going to have seven days before we get to see Nick Felino, which will play into it. There's the Nick Robertson thing, too. Do you want to see him have a little bit of run before the playoffs? Are you interested in seeing him? <laughs> I mean, so you're, obse- you're obsessed with Nick Robertson. Just this Why never am I stops obsessed with you. Dick? Dick, Nick Robertson. What did we? Dick, uh, Dick, we just uh, we just whoa. talked to we just we just talked to CJ okay. who said Rasmus Sandin and Nick Robertson are going to get in the lineup here. Yeah, I, Rasmus Sandin makes a lot more sense to me just because he again it's about insurance, right? You want to make sure that you have insurance. You want to make sure that you have guys behind the behind the types of guys that would be lost to an injury where you have to fit them in, right? If they lose, let's say they lose Morgan Riley or. Yeah, I think Morgan Riley would be the the highest guy up the lineup. You're probably going to look at it and say, maybe you want to have Sandine in here because you need someone who you're going to take a look at on a power play or whatever. You want to make him feel good. You want to make Robertson feel good too. Depth, depth, depth. But if you see those guys in the playoffs, to me it's just a sign that something really, really bad has happened. Yeah, somebody got injured. But this is what we're talking about. We're talking about depth. We're talking about not feeling that bad if you lose a couple of guys. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the Robertson thing, I, I feel like they they seem to have made their call that this is not the year for the guy. Like, mm-hmm. Sandine may be a necessity for sure, particularly, like, the style he plays and the style the Leafs have. I, they should probably play these guys as much as they can down the stretch and just figure yeah. it out. But, but that's depending on what they do here. Like, if they get a couple of guys and all of a sudden they're your third or fourth option, well, let's not force them into the lineup for, for no reason. But... I guess, by the way, what time is the exact deadline? Do we know Three what time o'clock. it's over? Three, Three o'clock. Should, okay. Should, yeah. I should really know that. <laughs> <laughs> I do, yeah, yeah. But anyway, it's three o'clock minimum, Eastern time. Uh, minimum three, requirement for you, interest-wise, yeah. in the deadline. I, I forgot it was two or three. It was two or three. All right, three. Um, but after that, you can kind of figure out. All right, how many games are Robertson Sandine going to play, depending on who's who's a Maple Leaf or not? Mm-hmm. Great. All right, let's take a break. Come back with more uh, with Justin Bourne as uh, the NHL trade deadline is <laughs> three o'clock. This afternoon, so four and a half hours away, if I did that correctly. Yes, I think I did. Four and a half hours away from the NHL trade deadline. Uh, and more trades to come for the Maple Leafs, we think. Hockey Central trade deadline underway at noon on Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca 
our team of insiders and anal uh, analysts will have you covered until 5 p.m. Eastern with the latest trade news and reaction from around the NHL, including our man, Justin Bourne, who we will continue to converse with next on Good Show, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. NHL trade deadline day, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Van Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, Justin Bourne. I have uh, an analogy to make a comparison between Anthony Fauci and Kyle Dubas. You want to hear it? To be I honest, not know. really, but sure. <laughs> I mean, I do. Anthony I don't know if Fauci, I want to respond to it. Privately, probably no, better than no, publicly, I would no. say. But yeah. No, no. Anthony Fauci yesterday talked about his evolving opinions on masks and whether he's a flip-flopper or not. He says, you're a flip-flopper if the information doesn't change and your opinion changes. But if the information changes and you change with it, that's an admirable quality. And yeah. I would say that that has happened with Kyle Dubas. How did I do? Great. I meant that's great. <laughs> so, uh, I meant that sincerely. I know that sounds no, I know. Yeah. that one. Yeah, no, no, it's not it. super sarcastic. No, eat it. No, I yeah. know. I, dude, you, we discussed it. At, uh, we touched on it just a little tiny bit with CJ. But... This is exactly what I want from a general manager, and this is exactly what I want for just the way we discuss sports or, yeah, you're right, just about anything, which is, hey, your opinions can change the more you gather information. The older that you get, you probably see things a little differently than you used to when it comes to a lot of different things. That doesn't make you a hypocrite. That doesn't make you a loser. Football. That makes you intelligent. You should be able to adjust your takes on the fly. There's times where we've done the show and I've had, you know, my opinions, I have hard opinions usually, right? And I can sound extremely stubborn. And I'm just using myself as an example here. I'm just, I'm not going to use either you guys or somebody else. But I, the times where I feel truly proudest about myself is when I say, oh, I was wrong. I was actually wrong about this and I need to reevaluate the way I was thinking about this. And if you really do look at Hockey is very much like this. I would say more than any other sport when it comes to discussion. For when it's, you know, someone has a hard opinion about a player or a philosophy, they stick with that and they maintain that identity and they're not even able to see some of the nuance of it. We did this already this year with Nylander, right? Where, hey, if you're in an extreme side on either end, you're probably wrong. You should be able to kind of step off of whatever hardline stance you have and try to understand why so many other people see it a different way. And if you're not able to do that, well, I don't know, maybe you are enjoying it as much, but you're probably not engaging in any type of critical thinking, which is fun, which is what's – because this is supposed to be fun and easy critical thinking, right? This isn't supposed to matter all that much. So I, I really do. I admire Dubas. I – I, I genuinely had questions about him as a GM after last season, the way that things went, the roster construction, the Barry trade. There was a lot of, man, mm -hmm. if they really disappoint this year, Dubas is on the hot seat. I, I feel as though no general manager has done better for himself than Dubas over the course of this last season, really, truthfully. Well, yeah, he's certainly shown a willingness, um, you know, to, to Ben's point to sort of, 
adapt uh, with, with new information that it wasn't working uh, his, his with his old theories. Uh, I, I will say to, to the point you're making about like people digging in, there's a, a great Twitter follow for Leafs fans. It's uh, at the Oak Leafs, who I, I very much enjoy, who basically just made the point like there are going to be Leafs fans who decided that they wanted Taylor Hall, and so Nick Foligno's bad. Right. And no matter what he does, it's not going to be good. Exactly. And they should have got Hall and whatever. And it's just the people people make their decisions and then they get that confirmation bias. You look for every bad play Felino's gonna make and every good one Hall's gonna make, and that's what we're gonna see out there. So not everyone was gonna win this time around, um, you know, at the deadline because they're two very stylistically different players. I, I think most of I think the three of us are in consensus that this was what the team needed more than Taylor yes. Hall. Yes, so, sir. Desperately so. You know, uh, um maybe we do this a little bit too much on the show, but this is actually what I think is really harmful when it comes to the internet is sometimes people almost try to cater their takes to satisfy a base rather than share their actual thoughts or that people try and make everyone happy with a take or a position. But the reality of the situation is when you open up something, an opinion, it doesn't even have to be an opinion at this point. You can put facts on the internet. It's going to upset a certain faction of people. Somebody is going to be upset. And that fear of upsetting someone terrifies people. And so the easiest thing to do is to not weigh in critically at all or to not share an opinion or not to acknowledge certain elements of a, a move, whatever that may be. So, yeah, I do think that there are those weird camps of wanting the confirmation bias, that inability to move off of a take or a position. And, yeah, I... I just think it's a little less fun to do that. I, I just can't imagine and, – and I've had that, right? Like everybody likes to be right. Everybody yeah. likes to have their opinion validated. But mm -hmm. it, it really does seem as though today should just be an exciting day for Leafs fans. Your team yep. looks good and they're better than they were before. And fretting over a draft pick that you wouldn't see for three years – this anyway life isn't permanent <laughs> you know it's just, we don't have unlimited years of this and so the Leafs trying to win in the now to me is a, a cool thing yeah. I, I guess well me, I mean we, we also crazy. went into this JD though we went into this whole deadline with the fear because everyone loves uh, roster baiting and their prospect porn of course mm -hmm. uh, with the fear of them trading one of those guys like you know because Dubas said will you trade one of your top mm -hmm. prospects yes so everyone's like, oh, Rodion Amarov, you know, uh, look out, out Nick, <laughs> you know, but they still have all those guys. And that's why you feel comfortable trading your top, your trading picks at a time when you have a chance to win is it's not like no one's on the way. They have some de decent prospects uh, prioritizing now rather than later. It's the perfect time for that. Yeah, the the pushback might come if you believe that they're, and I, I know this is a hard um place to put your brain considering the guy I'm going to talk about has two goals this season but that this Leafs team doesn't have enough offense if you're of that belief then maybe this isn't the right move do you think this team has enough offense born with that top line going the way it does does it have enough offense yeah no they, it's it's I, I think they're top five in the NHL and in goals per game mm -hmm. right now the the great part too is this team doesn't do it from just those top guys. The top guys are great, but they do get some smatterings of offense from throughout their lineup. The one place they don't get any offense, interestingly enough, is from their back end. They actually, I think they're one of the bottom teams in the NHL in terms of goals by defensemen. So their forward group is loaded. You know, I, I remember talking to uh, a guy who works for an NHL team, um, and he was talking about 
potentially trading one of their right shot D-men. And he, they had four pretty good right shot D-men. I was like, why don't you just keep them? Like, these are all good players. You know, and he was just like, you, you have to spread your assets around. It's an obvious point, but like, you know, if you think about a video game where you only get so many talent points to lo- you know, allocate to each position, you've got to spread them around a little bit. Um, that's the least. They don't need to allocate any more offense to their forward group. That's the last place they should be trying to add. Um, all right. Well, it was a big weekend for at JT Bourne underscore golf. Probably picked up a lot of followers. <laughs> was it? We're up to, I don't know. I, I didn't really like see a lot of yesterday. JT Bourne. Uh, to I, be honest, I saw a few. I, yeah, I was just few. way too busy. I don't, I'm like that middle-aged dad period where I get to watch like two hours of it. It's, like, <laughs> it's awful. It's just uh, awful. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you watched the back nine, though. And uh, I wonder how similar to my take yours was uh, about Xander Shoffley on, on sixteen. Well, I mean, do I get to hear yours first, or do you want mine? Yeah. Well, okay. Do you want me to? It's okay. I'll impact your your. Well, you want to prime them? You're gonna prime yeah. them. All right. Here, first off, super super. I don't want to say arrogant, but confident guy, who said after the round he hit a perfect shot. No, I know. Just on the on the golf ball that he hit into the water no, in the hunt nuts. in the Masters, he hit a perfect yeah. shot. Nuts. Go away, go yeah. away. You did Insane. not hit a perfect shot. Um, you know, I I kind of feel like he fell apart twice. Like I know it's yeah. it's overlooking the great stretch, but like he needed to make a move early was bad. Finally, kind of like when it didn't matter and the pressure was off, he put it together, and all of a sudden the pressure was on for another second. He was bad again. To me, he couldn't handle the pressure. Yeah. Uh, he absolutely couldn't handle the pressure. That is an easy tee shot on 16. Where born? Like we follow this sport and this tournament super closely every single year. Where's the guy who's like, you know, what's the pressure shot? It's not the tee shot on 12. It's 16 with that pin where that. everything goes to the hole and you just have to hit it 30 feet right. Man, that's nerve wracking <laughs> with all that water. That's like it's. But the water is for show. Literally, that hole is like, oh, it looks so nice with the water. And then on Tuesday, all the caddies line up and they skip balls over the water. That's what the water's for. Nobody yeah. hits it in that water. <laughs> you hit it 30 so feet right of it. What are we talking that, about? That water is so unintimidating. My caddies three skipped the ball over it a couple <laughs> days ago. I know. What's What was disappointing this week is, like, there weren't any of the, like, war war tested guys who like knew how to deal with the pressure it was like who could choke the least Matsuyama on that hole banged it like way way far long and right and three jacked it and made a bogey himself like it Mm -hmm. it just no one really uh, rose to the occasion but someone has to win yeah I just I I liked the breakout of Willie Z I saw you get into it by the way I saw you get into it on Twitter well (laughs) First of all, part of that was being done tongue-in-cheek because I've been the anti-Tiger guy seeing that there needs to be no Tiger. So that was kind of for the, the people who listen to this show because it was me saying, as everyone for years said, that they need Tiger. We can't wait for Tiger. Tiger's going to come back. I was the one saying, let's just see how the other golfers do. I'm interested in the other golfers. And then here we have this Masters where it's the other guys and DJ misses the cut and couldn't have looked like he cared less. Rory chokes right out of the gate, does nothing, and it's just basically a disaster from the first tee. DeChambeau, who we did the same thing. We didn't learn a single lesson from November. We just did the whole, but he hits it far, and so he can win. And, yeah, he didn't have a green book, and he couldn't do anything, and he was just basically over the cut line as well. 
Spieth had some moments. He was there. He was more relevant, but it didn't ever feel as though he was going to win. Rom, same thing. Like, all the dudes that we were supposed to be interested in, who we're supposed to care about, Justin Thomas, same thing. None of them really showed up for this thing. None of them were really threatening in this thing. And so my biggest thought was, well, if you guys are supposed to be the group that saves golf, then, or at least gets casual people invested in it, because the point's always made by Ben, and it's true. Golf is, if you're a golf hardo, you'll watch whatever the hell you want. But that, to me, is the issue with golf, is that there's this protectionism around it from the people who love it, where they can never acknowledge that there's some flaws. <laughs> and when it comes to sports, you need narratives, you need stories that people care about. And who's the story that you care about right now? The Matsuyama one was great. I love that one. Again, sticking it to the old racist of Augusta, that's a story I can get behind. Uh, anything else outside of that in that group? Willie Z? He's too young to win the Masters. I don't want to see a rookie step in and beat the Justin Thomases and the Spieths. Like, I, I don't know. It just it wasn't a very compelling Masters, and it's the one time I need golf to be compelling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that it was a compelling tournament. It wasn't. And actually, it was the second Masters in six months that wasn't overly compelling, no um, which which is disappointing. Uh, I did see more than ever in the lead-up to this tournament, uh, people commenting on the SNL test was one of the articles I read for golf and, like, how many golfers – could you put on SNL and they'd be like, and people would know who it was. And it's yeah. the comparison was like, I don't know who, who's the 10th best quarterback in the NFL. I think they said like Baker Mayfield was the example used. And they're like, Baker Mayfield put, is infinitely more famous, famous than anyone on tour right now. It's not close. Yeah. It's not a, even like, a discussion. Like Jordan Spieth. I don't know who, I don't even know who else would be up there. So I don't think there's much of an argument that golf is lacking a star. Uh, I do think that you know golf is the best it's ever been. There are more amazing golfers. The play is incredible. Sure. There's a ton of great players. I genuinely do. It's it's it, that was a, not a compelling tournament because a guy led by four going into Sunday and played pretty good. You know, yeah. it's a different story if he blows. But no up one else played hole. well. He shot a 73 and he won the Masters. <laughs> it's a the tough guy golf shot course. a 73 and the the Masters was never in doubt. No one put pressure on him. That's not fun. Not saying it was a great event. It was not yeah. a great event. There's no <laughs> Yeah. I okay. So JD, your golf watching career is it's only existed with Tiger Woods, right? Like, did you watch golf before yeah. like '97? No. Not really. No. no. Tiger Woods. Not no. at all. In '97, I was 10 years old, so no, I didn't watch yeah. golf before no, you Tiger didn't. Woods. And I did you love it. Ian Woosnam yeah. when you were? Yeah, yeah no, I was really <laughs> when I was 10 years old. I was just like, please, Faldo. please, Papa, let me watch yeah. golf. That's what I was saying. No, I, I, you know what I watched? I watched the Mariners. I watched Ken Griffey Jr. Right. I watched the Seattle SuperSonics, and I watched. Man, I loved Barry Sanders. I really loved Barry. We used to get Detroit Lions games. Boy, used to. I, I don't think I ever grew up pretending to be an athlete more than I grew up pretending to be Barry Sanders. So. Before Tiger Woods, golf wasn't a niche sport, but it wasn't a universal sport like it became with Tiger Woods. And mm -hmm. I loved it when it was front and center and people were getting more and more excited about tournaments and, and the, the golf and the, the, the purses exploded in the 20-plus years of Tiger Woods. We're just going back to that other place. Like this era, the Tiger Woods era, we'll never see again. And it was incredible, and you love him or you hate him, but it was compelling, narrative-driven golf week after week after week. 
and it's gone and never coming back. So you might say that Bryson DeChambeau doesn't do it for you or Jordan Spieth, and I would say you're probably right compared to any other sport, but that's what this sport is. It's uh, it's more for the hardos because but. It, it this is what it was before 97. This is, this here, is it. This is part Tiger. of the problem. This is part of the problem is that what Tiger did is – exactly what you said is he drummed up the purses to like unfathomable dollar amounts like these guys are you know the FedEx Cup what do they give the guy who wins 10 million I think just for you know it's like my god so the purses got out of control and so everyone on tour gets paid so now everyone on tour is buddies like it used to be a little bit of like hate and competitiveness and scrapping for every little piece there's a recent Kevin uh, Kevin Kevin Kisner quote who JD definitely does not know who's probably one of the 50 best golf Okay, my bad. One of the 50 what? best golfers in the world. Oh, I not know who Kevin Kisner is. I work as a professional who watches sports for a living. All right, all like, Jeez. Right. Anyway, so he had a recent quote where they asked him about like not winning or something for a stretch of time, and he was like, you can make a pretty good living out here finishing 20th Dude. every week. <laughs> I had the same conversation with JD about Xander Shoffley yesterday. It's like, yeah, yeah, like how broken up are we supposed I'm to? I'm proud of me because I stunk. <laughs> what? I yeah. really don't want that for my athletes. To, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah I finished Pro- like, I don't want to you to be depressed. Yeah, I don't want you to be depressed. No one wants that, right? But can I just have you be a little upset that you blew the Masters? <laughs> I'm 27 and a yeah. millionaire a hundred times over, and yeah. I he literally said, "I'm proud for giving the fans a moment where they could be excited." It's like, no, dude, you were supposed to give us 18 holes of excitement, and you <laughs> yeah. didn't do anything. Matsuyama put it in the drink, and that was it. It wasn't you. You did nothing. You did nothing. <laughs> and like, he's gonna qualify for the Masters for the next 20 years. Years. Ugh, like he's just going to keep making those paychecks. And he'll never win. Yeah, I mean, that happens to a lot of these guys now. I don't know. They're, they're, that's why golf is best when there's people you want to suck. You love villains. Yes. Patrick, Patrick Reed is as important to anyone in the PGA Tour because F that guy. You know, it's just like mm-hmm. all these – you just want some people to suck and to, to really no. root against. Even DeChambeau, you know, it's it, we look at the hubris and we're like, oh, that, that guy must be hated on tour. They must look at him and – think what is he doing he's ruining the sport now we all have to swing crazy and and he's hit the great drives 400 like but they love him like he's got lots of friends on tour there's no animosity towards him from inside the ropes and, and we talked to david Faraday about it the other day like that's th- that doesn't exist patrick reed is literally literally the only guy that you can even squint a little bit but i, don't, I think that's overstated and it's mostly a, a fan media creation I hated Colin Montgomery more than any athlete growing up. I thought he was – I just loathed him. And that was that was part of what made it so good. He'd be, like, leading the Open. I could barely look at the TV. I hated him so much. So, <laughs> so like, I, I don't know. I guess for golf, I need that. I need more of those guys. Yeah. I, I said going into this Masters that it really needs a speed – dominance or a Rory back to winning storyline because the had DeChambeau really torn up the course and whooped everybody's ass that would have been a story had Brooks Kepka done it on one knee that would have been a story but yeah I, I think we're just kidding ourselves a little bit when it comes to the interest in Justin Thomas or even no, the guy I like Ron man, and, we're yeah. getting the bands comparing eras because it's yeah. like we just lived through the most exciting era in golf, without question, that it was actually on the same level as yeah. other sports, which it has but never you, been. Yeah, and it won't be. And it won't be no, without Tiger Woods, right? Golf needs Tiger Woods to be at the very top with all the other sports. That's it. 
There's no question. Yep. Yep. But do you guys agree with me now after watching this Masters that Rory McIlroy is the one guy that can kind of unlock casual fan interest? He was the guy yeah. that was supposed to be the after dude uh, to Tiger. He's the guy who got the video game. He's got He's just had the big international profile. I, I do feel as though if Rory can find it again, people will be compelled by that and, and casuals will be drawn to that. Like if you told if you sent me a text about the Valero Open, right? And it was, hey, Bryson's about to win. I'm not turning it on. If you told me Rory's about to win, I think I would right now. I think Rory's the only golfer that in a non-major or big event that if you sent me a text, hey, he's trying to he's battling down the stretch, hey, Rory's hot that I would tune in for. Yeah. You know, that actually, for, for the SNL test, maybe he's the guy who might have he's a sniff. 100% the test. Might, he's might the guy. Might have a sniff. But, like, you know, one of his downfalls to me, and I mean this in, in like, the nicest way, like, I like him because of this, is that he has a life. And, like, mm-hmm. he, you know, Tiger's weirdness made him consistently dominant. I think there are so many good players and the game is so hard. It's so tough to be consistently great. And Rory had interests like a life and girlfriends and, you know, doing stuff. And it kind of took away from what he, maybe he could have been more Tiger-like. But heaven yeah. forbid the guy didn't want to end up Tiger weird. No. Yeah, he has emotions. And sometimes you can see those emotions come through on the golf course. And I know Matsuyama breaks down on the way off the, the green, but you can look at DJ in November. Those guys, when they're playing golf, like nothing else matters. They are golf robots. And at times, Rory's not that, which, again, you're right, makes him uh, endearing, but probably going right. to be the thing Less that effective. Uh, is his undoing. Uh, all right, let's take a break and come back. It is NHL trade deadline day. Again, for Justin Bourne's sake, uh, just over four hours until the deadline. Uh, more with Justin Bourne as Good Show continues. NHL trade deadline edition, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Subscribe to uh, the Good Show podcast. Past. I'm going to try that again, even though this is live radio. There's no do-overs. That lives forever. Subscribe to the Good Show podcast feed. Also, our Leafs Hour podcast feed for everything Leafs. You can hear our weekly segments with Justin Bourne, which aren't always better part of two hours, but on uh, NHL trade deadline day they are. Justin Bourne continues with us, Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, and no word yet on whether the Toronto Maple Leafs have taken my advice and set up a quarantine station on a sheet of ice in an abandoned arena. Would have been smart which it would be insanely smart. First of all, Bourne, is that not the greatest idea anyone's ever had? How has this not happened that some team has said, okay, you got to do a seven-day quarantine. Um, instead of your legs cramping and you not being in peak physical condition sitting in a hotel room, how about you quarantine uh, in a rink? Like, how come that hasn't happened yet? I don't know. <laughs> I put no ben, thought you into keep this. floating this out to people and everyone responds the same way and yet you keep Whoa. going to the well with the same take it's just the, well you won't stop this is you know you we, you we just did a whole segment on Kyle Dubas and how he has abandoned some thinking and he's evolving as a human being and here you are just stuck on the same thing over and over and over again every single what? show the good take where, you know, I'm <laughs> floating it out to smart people to see why it hasn't happened. And if, there's a, if there's a problem with it that I haven't anticipated, 
And no, there hasn't yet been a problem with it that I haven't I it, did anticipated. Did a junior team do this? I think a junior yeah. team put their guys all in well, a they, rink, didn't they? They had to, yeah. And Red yeah. Deer, they for mm -hmm. a tournament to go off, they just said, hey, we're going to put you up in the suites. But you know when that's fun? When you're a kid who's just oh playing God, hockey amazing. and enjoying being around his teammates? You know when it's not fun? When you're the only guy in an empty rink and people are leaving you food at the door <laughs> like a prisoner? Like, I don't think that it would be fun. Hey, look at this cold sheet of ice. You can go out there and skate by yourself. What a fun, sexy time for you. Are we Enjoy. into fun or are we Thank into you. winning Stanley yeah. Cups? Let's go. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, it's great. And, Joe broke uh, for a week, kid. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> really All right, so uh, Leafs have the Montreal Canadiens tonight. But after tonight's game, they still got a bunch more Montreal Canadiens games. So if the seven-day quarantine starts today for Nick Foligno on April 12th, that means, in theory, he'd be ready for a game on April 20th. There isn't one, but there are three in a row against the Winnipeg Jets in Winnipeg starting April 21st through 24th. And then you got Montreal on the 28th. And then you got three more against Montreal. So there's four games against the Montreal Canadiens, three games against the Winnipeg Jets, in which we could see this fully formed Toronto Maple Leafs lineup, the, the full death machine that could be ready for the postseason, Bourne. Yeah, um, and quite likely getting the Montreal Canadiens after that, um, if the Canadiens play of late has been any indication. I wonder if this would be a rare opportunity in, in hockey to actually try to not show them your cards before the playoffs. Play a different forecheck, play a different, you know, scramble the lines up. Like, I mean, the standings might be set, but I understand we've talked about only having so many games to tinker and see what you really have. So maybe that's a terrible idea. I don't know, throwing stuff at the wall here. Yeah. I just, I, during the break, I was thinking about this when Ben referenced how many games there are. It's way more than it felt like it was ever going to be because of the 14-day quarantine, right? And I wonder if the Leafs would have, A, been appealing to Felino if it had to be 14 days, how much the seven actually changed it. Because Elliot mentioned on headlines that Minnesota was at least very interested in Felino. Would have been an opportunity to go play with his brother, the Wild. I, 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 by the way, I'm in a phase now where I'm watching way more hockey. I don't know if it was because of the deadline, but I'm watching out-of-market stuff. For, out, maybe it's because I'm bored. I, I used to be watching all the late-night Canadian teams playing one another because I said, hey, I got to know these teams inside and out. I got it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. I, I'm done with uh, – I, I got it. I, I've, I've had the games. I've seen all the Canadian teams a lot. So now I'm starting to drift south of the border and watching them. But the Wild are good. The, the Wild are yeah. really good. They've got the best uniforms in the sport, which definitely changes my opinion of them as well. And I know Bourne agrees with me. That's why I referenced mm -hmm. it there. Mm -hmm. Like Those green and yellow jerseys ah, are just sexy. My God. they Honestly, whenever I know they're wearing those jerseys, I want to watch them more. It's so aesthetically <laughs> pleasing for me. I'm not even kidding. I see them in it, and I stop for a little while longer. It's like the game's 6-1. I'm like, I don't care. I just want to watch like 10 minutes of this. But if it's 14 days, does Felino want to come here? And if the Leafs do acquire him, they have to work earlier, absolutely, right? They can't wait now. They have to make sure that this deal is done way in advance, which means that they probably have to pay a much higher price. That, that switch from 14 days to seven is about as big of a story of this deadline for the Leafs as anything else. I, I'm genuinely surprised, too, like how open people are about this. Like Eric Stahl said he probably wouldn't have 
have gone to a Canadian team, wouldn't have waved to go to a Canadian team had it not been changed. She was like, I could probably handle a week in a hotel, but two weeks seems excessive. Like, it actually made a difference. I would love uh, I would love a documentary on a behind-the-scenes because they said there was lobbying of the Canadian government to try to make that happen. Like, what does that consist uh-huh. of? Like, is Morgan Riley calling his local, I don't know, mm-hmm. politician, being like, uh, hey, help? Like, how does this happen? I don't even know where, where I... do you start. Probably Morgan Riley uh, knows Tessa Virtue, so she's yeah, like, yeah, all you true. gotta see is be like, "Hey, yeah. Tessa, tell them to change the laws of this land." And she's like, "Of course, because basically I'm the prime Queen minister, Virtue, so let's yes. just switch it up." <laughs> yeah, that was probably the most impactful person that's associated to the Leafs, honestly. When it would come to like the ability to change policy, Bieber, uh, yeah, yeah, Biebs would be big. Yeah, that's probably what it was. Yeah. They just asked Bieber. <laughs> Bieber yeah. <laughs> Bieber and Tessa Virtue contingent was like, hey, Trutes, trying to win a cup here. He's like, all right. <laughs> I know you got nothing yeah. else on your plate, but yeah, make it easier yeah. for the hockey player uh, to get across yeah, the board. They were probably, no. <laughs> well, they were probably like, uh, why are we uh, limiting people coming this way uh, across the border? Like, have you paid attention? Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's good. We're going to get to see this full lineup, I guess, uh, against those two teams. Unless, like you said, Bourne, they're going to do like a, a a baseball thing in the preseason where you don't get to see Hunjin Ryu if you're the New York Yankees the final week of the um, uh, preseason. Um, we're still waiting for more moves to filter out. Like, there is no doubt in my mind, especially after talking to CJ, that the Maple Leafs are going to make uh, a move for a defenseman or at least try to today. Uh, Jeff Carter was a name we didn't anticipate moving. He's on his way to Pittsburgh. Who outside of the Leafs, or maybe you can throw that. the Leafs in here too, um, who is the team that you think is already in the winner's category here today? Well, the Boston Bruins were in most need of what they got in Taylor Hall. Like, they were dead last in the NHL in terms of high-danger scoring chances. They could not create offense for the life of them beyond the Marchand, Pasternak, Bergeron line. And Taylor Hall creates that. And a lot of people go, ah, he had two goals. Well, not to be, like, the stat guy or whatever, but, like, he, you know, one of the things he he did is, is... was he led the NHL right now? Is currently currently leading the NHL in like high danger scoring chance plays, high danger scoring chance passes, all this yada Slot yada passes. stuff. Slot passes, yeah. So he's he's a guy that can help them in that regard. Um, you know, I I do think that Taylor Hall is a a pretty flawed player, but in terms of a team getting what they needed, uh, he should scratch that itch for the for the Sabers. Sorry, the Bruins. Yeah, I think that's the key. It's not that he's a bad player. In all of our evaluation of of what the Maple Leafs needed and why they Bruins didn't fans need should be Hall. thrilled, right? It's a second round pick to get a Taylor Hall lottery ticket is an incredible moment for them. Like, yeah. it's I I cannot like Taylor Hall for the Leafs and I can love Taylor Hall for the Bruins and I actually don't think that the results. So if if we're gonna end up playing the game where Taylor Hall is awesome for the Bruins, I I don't think it's fair to. Is extrapolate the right word to say that it would have been the exact same way for the Leafs. Again, I, I just think just the same way why the Bruins probably weren't in on Felino as much. Like some guys make more sense for different teams. It's again well, not binary. And, and you wonder how much the no trade clauses impacted the market for both guys. And I know that there's cap uh-huh. thing also. Even with half of it retained, it's still four million for Taylor Hall. But how much yeah. did they control the process? It really seemed like Nick Felino is happy to be a Toronto Maple Leaf with the history, with everything. Yeah. Like, do you think somebody else 
could have I mean he could have completely controlled the the process if he wanted to go to the Leafs you could said that's the only place you, I'm willing okay. to accept a trade so I think that's in, how Hall got to go yeah go ahead go ahead yeah oh I was just gonna say I know you got to go so I I just wanted to kind of because we don't need to relitigate the same thing that we've already done where it's like we we all like Felino for the Leafs for like we're, we're a consensus here right mm-hmm. like we we've all basically said that we're consensus in Nick Felino making sense for the Leafs for a variety of different reasons. I like Ben said it though. They're looking to still add. And to you it is blue line, right? Like there's no more fantasies of adding a third line center or anything like that. Like the Scott Lawton ideas would have been great, but at this point it's just all you're expecting to see from them is a depth defenseman, correct? Well, the the only scenario where this is not the case is let's say they know Freddie's not coming back. They actually have a lot of cap space to play with. Like all of a sudden, they, they we're talking three million dollar whatever type player, which you know, given salary retention possibilities, like could you get Josh Manson from Anaheim to play D for you? Not just a depth defenseman, but someone who can like really make a difference. Uh, you know, so the the conversation could change if they really are sure that Freddie's not going to play till playoffs. So uh, what they do next will depend on what they think of his his health status. My head would explode if that happened. I actually don't know how I would deal with that. CJ said he's not hearing any massive rumors right now that he expects it to be more depth, guys. Is there one guy that if it is not a Manson, like if we had to go down the line, if there's a blue liner because Alexiak's name has been out there, but if there's somebody on a bad team where they could end up being sellers, that is a depth piece that you think would actually be a, a real upgrade on Marincin and give them some a, a guy that you believe they could lean on if they need him. Is there one name that you have circled that you're interested in? Well, unfortunately, the Alexiak name is the most common one that comes up. Uh, you know, Patrick Nemeth is a name that came up, but he's already been moved. Braden Coburn was a guy who's on the taxi squad for Ottawa, who now he's gone to the Islanders. Like, it doesn't feel like there's a ton of NHL names hanging around, but, you know, when you're sniffing around Team 6-7 defensemen, I don't think it's too, too hard to track someone down. So, no, I, I don't have a name offhand, but I'm not. I, I'm very confident they won't be too hard to find. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, get every GTA guy possible. So, yeah, go get Alexiak. And then we can have the triumvirate. We get Penny, and we get Bieber. Like, literally. We don't even the... have to play the games. Ooh. Just get to say, hey, Trudes, give us the cup. And you say <laughs> <laughs> it's lobbied by those people. They have to hand yeah, it over. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> All right. Uh, Bourne, uh, great stuff, buddy. Uh, we'll talk right. next week. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. See you, bro. There is. Justin Bourne, as uh, we anxiously await the addition of um, Jimmy Alexiak, who uh, I think is a nice little piece of business if they're able to do it. And there's just Uh too many breadcrumbs leading towards it for it not to be real. So, with this move, with the one that is remaining, assuming the Leafs don't get splashy here and don't add another real name of significance, right? Which I, I'm going to that's that's where I'm at. I, I just if you have an opportunity to take Freddie off of LTIR before the season finishes, play him in a couple of games, try to get him right, that's still more valuable to me, regardless of how Jack Campbell is playing, than trying to get cute and adding something of the upgrade from the Riley Nash Engvall third line that's supposed to play, you know, 14 minutes in the playoffs at this point. Just you want to have a healthy Freddie Anderson because you're probably going to need both goalies. And when he's at his very best, I believe he truly is one of the best 10 goaltenders on the planet. So 
I don't want to take myself out of that if I'm the Leafs. I don't want to put myself in that position. And I certainly don't want to be in one where you have to tell Freddie Anderson, who's probably already dealing with a lot right now between the injury and what's going on in his head, that he doesn't even get the chance to come back this year when he's a free agent next offseason and all of the consequences that come with the potential damage to him in the room. But if Dubas is still adding around the fringes, this is where I want to see old school Dubas come through. This is where I want to see Dubas say, hey, this asset might be underappreciated by a certain team, but we have our we have our data, we have our information that tells us that this guy who is going to only take a late round pick, and frankly, that's all they really have, right? I think they only have three picks next year now, and then they have four three. picks the following season. Picks. In 2021, right. they have a second rounder, they have a fifth rounder, and a sixth rounder. And then yep. 2022, they have a first, second, fifth, and sixth. Boy. Slim pickings. <laughs> Those scouts are yeah. very much either on, on the hot seat or they're like, we we got to really do our job very well because we have yeah. very few bullets in the chamber. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe the player they're trying to acquire ends up being a comes at the price of a, a lower-end prospect or a lottery ticket or someone that within the organization they're not too high on anymore, right? So there's other ways of doing this than draft picks, but let's just say it's one of those things. I'm really hoping that, yeah, they identify someone that maybe doesn't have upside that is going to be a star someday, because, again, this is just about depth and winning in this season, but that they try and hit on someone they believe that will work in their building a little bit better. Because you can't have to worry about stuff like veteran at this point. Now you've got TJ Brody, you have Jake Muzzin, you have Zach Bogosian, you have Jack Campbell, who clearly everybody loves in that room and who has been around winners. You have just added Nick Felino, yet another captain. How many captains does this team have? Like Lots. Matthews is actually a captain. <laughs> He yeah. should be the captain. Yeah. And they have him. They have Tavares. They have Felino. They have Thornton. They have Spezza. Like, they're good on leadership. I, I don't really think that this guy is – whoever they're bringing in, they, they need to worry about it. This is where, yeah, just – I'd like to see the fancy analytics dubis come to play here where people look at this one and somebody shows me a chart and says, this guy is a <laughs> real asset to the charts. And I go, good. Uh, Let me dream on the chart guy that hopefully I never end up actually seeing. Well, I mean – the <laughs> captain of chart guy fitting the exact mold that you're talking about and had very much of the same conversation surrounding him when he arrived here was Martin Marincin. Martin Marincin yeah. was chart king. Different he was chart guy. king I'm, of yeah, the yeah. charts. What are you yeah. talking about? It was all about the charts yeah. with him in Edmonton. Yeah. And yeah. again, not a bad player, but yeah, yeah charts, uh, charts were a little off on old Marty. Yeah. I got to say, though, uh, just on Martin Rinchin, which I didn't think I was going to talk about today. Not as bad as people say. Yeah, well, sure. Yeah, not what you want. Not not good no. enough for what you hope, but not as no. bad as, like, the fact that he's going to go down as an Aki Berg type name to for this sure. generation is, to me, yeah. a little unfair. Yeah, because like he was never the third seventh, overall pick no, in the draft. Yeah, no, no, no. He's a seventh defenseman, a guy that even still, like I know we're 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 saying, hey, gotta protect this blue line from Martin Marincin. But if worst came to worst, and he had to slot in playing nine minutes a game in Travis Dermott's spot on the third pairing, killing penalties, 
yeah, uh, it wouldn't be the end of the world. In fact, we've seen it in postseason games, and it's worked out okay. No, it's it's nope. not the worst thing in the world. Having him as your eighth or ninth or tenth defenseman is even better. But no, he uh, obviously shouldn't receive the derision that he receives. Do you know who we haven't talked about, though, in just about any way? And I do really think it's going to be interesting what happens here moving forward. Who? Galchenyuk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because there's, I mean, he's skating on the top line against the Senators, gets a couple of assists, and that time the top line looks as good as it has all season long. He's had some success with Tavares and, and Nylander. Where does Felino fit in? We're already, like, it is done. The conversation surrounding Joe Thornton is over. Like, there is no combination of healthy bodies that the Maple Leafs have right now where Joe Thornton fits into this lineup. He just, he just, he doesn't. Like, there's, I don't see where he fits. Galchenyuk. I mean, how do we feel about Engvall? Like, could Engvall be the guy centering that that fourth line and Kerfoot on the wing? Like, if Galchenyuk's not in your top six, do you want him on this team? Well, first of all, I keep getting confused as to who is the third line. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they point. put a it's graphic the one with up McKay on, on it. No, that's the thing, though, not. They <laughs> threw a graphic up the other day that showed Spezza as the third line, and I went, yeah, in my brain that makes sense in terms of their <laughs> importance level, but also not really. So this team is like, it's uh, it's a personal belief, I guess, is who's the yeah. third line. They're both the third line, you know? Yeah. There's really no proof. There's no evidence. They cycle through the players. They kind of move them around, but you're right. Mikheyev is... Where's Mikheyev? Usually feels that's like the third line. line, but then he plays with Tavares, and I go, ah, oh, everything's out of <laughs> yeah, whack. that's a wrinkle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah everything's <laughs> completely out of whack. I don't know what to do with myself. I don't know who the third line is. Um, I think that they just have a, a, a first line, second line, and a bottom six. Uh, there's no... Yeah. There's no line. If... This next little stretch with no Felino matters to anybody, I do believe it's... Galchenyuk, he can make it undeniable or he can give them flexibility to the point where they say, well, you know, maybe we try Felino down the lineup a little bit or maybe we do put Hyman down on the third line and try to get him to drive one. That's the real experiment is can he do enough to push Hyman down to the third line? I think Felino's in the top six. It's hard for me to envision how he plays in the bottom six or how that makes any sense even with the added minutes of power play and penalty kill that he's going to get. I just think he's a natural fit with Tavares that you, you just would like to see what that looks like. Maybe he's a natural fit on the top line, but somewhere on those, in that top six, I think he has to reside. So if Hyman goes down and drives a line and you have that as an experiment, I don't hate it. I don't love it. I'd rather have all of the top talent on the top two lines and lesser talent on the bottom six. At this point, I, I, I would believe Galchenyuk would still find a home in the bottom six and that he would find a home next to Jason Spezza and that they would say, yeah, we're going Spezza, Kerfoot, Galchenyuk. Why, why can't that be enough skill to provide you some secondary scoring down the lineup? Why can't that be better than Joe Thornton? Like That's the bar right now, right? Is Can you be better than Jumbo? then yeah, I just I don't really see the scenario where Galchenyuk's not going to be more effective. To me, simply put, it's Galchenyuk has been fine, which is good because his career really needed fine. He had not been fine for a really long time. When he was first acquired by the Toronto Maple Leafs, I told you that one of his former assistant coaches, shouldn't have said that even, one of his former coaches said that he was on his way to Europe after this season. Mm -hmm. And that 
doesn't seem as likely anymore. He's he's shown enough, I would say, that he'll get another veteran minimum deal somewhere. Hell, maybe even from the Maple Leafs. But I, what you want is not fine necessarily. And I've I've asked people who love Galchenyuk in private conversations and just having fun with friends or whatever. And because like I talk to Leaf fans all the time, what really pops about Galchenyuk? What do they really love about Galchenyuk? And there really isn't anything. He's just, he looks the part. When you see him on the ice, he looks like a top six forward. And he can replicate a lot of the things that you want from a top six forward, but nothing is overly spectacular. I don't really want the game on his stick in the postseason. I don't really want him playing hard minutes next to Tavares or playing with Austin Matthews. Like, this whole move was kind of done, I hope, to bump him down the lineup and lessen his importance in this roster. So if he gets a few minutes, if he gets a roll here or there, if they use him as a bit of a rover, I'm okay with that. But for my money, the way you balance out this roster is to put Felino in the top six, it's to keep Hyman in the top six, and to bump Galchenyuk down to the third line, which is now Spezza, Galchenyuk, and Kerfoot. And you see what that can do for you. Well, Spezza and Galchenyuk in limited sample have had a little bit of chemistry. And honestly, as much as... I just think Spezza has chemistry with everybody because he's awesome. And as as much... As many plaudits as we've handed to Jason Spezza, and rightfully so, the that line, him and Thornton really hasn't worked all that well. Mm-hmm. Like, they're getting all the advantageous zone yeah. starts, and it has been not good, not good, not good, not good. So you're right when you talk about the improvement over Joe Thornton not needing to be a big one to to be one and and that would it can't be any worse by the way i think that the thornton signing was still a massive success they didn't pay anything for sure. him the acquisition cost it didn't hurt them it didn't prevent them from doing anything else right he came in the guys love him he's clearly had an impact on the team he clearly loves it here they i what what's not to like about the signing? He's had moments. He scored points at that kind of money. He's still got more than just about anyone else that you pay a million dollars to. Mm-hmm. Thornton's been a revelation. And again, this what is so great about this Leafs team right now? What I love about this Leafs team right now is just the amount of flexibility that they have from years past. The idea that if injuries happen or you need someone to step into your lineup, you're choosing from Alex Galchenyuk and Joe Thornton and Riley Nash, that that feels like an all-star team. That just feels incredible that you can just move pieces around and that you have the right coach to move the pieces around, right? Someone who is very, very flexible and who's creative and thinks about these things. Sheldon Keefe, that's what I, I... It'd be great to just sit with him for an hour and have him try and teach you what he likes about the different combinations of guys and what he's looking for when he puts guys together. Those, that would be fascinating to me. So they've got the right coach. They've got the right team. They've got the right pieces. They've got the right mix of guys who are going to be willing to sacrifice, the right mix of top-end talent, the right combinations on the blue line, and potentially as big of a question mark as goaltending has been with Freddie Anderson making big saves or Jack Campbell's legs. If both those guys are healthy, yeah, what's the better goaltending tandem? I... I think you'd be hard-pressed to find one. I, and I think they're insulated from injuries um, right. in the goaltending department, in the forward ranks, but not on the blue line. And that's there, the last the fatal flaw that is like, place today. Yo, where's the fatal flaw? Where's the fatal flaw with this team right now? They're tough. No. They can defend leads. They can yep. score. They've got leadership. They've got urgency. They've got coaching. <laughs> like, they've got goaltending. 
I just don't see it. I don't. I know I'm a homer, and I know mm. you can hit me with that. But like, I've been super critical of the Leafs teams over the last couple of years, and so hard to paint me with that brush. I, I just don't see the fatal flaw of this group. I, I cannot imagine them getting into a series with anybody in the NHL right now, and them not win. I think they're the favorites to win the cup. I really do. I, I truly believe they are the favorites to win the Stanley Cup as of today, and that. They didn't need Felino, but Felino put them over the top to being, hey, you're right there in the mix to, oh, my God, this team is just so unbelievably stacked. And now the Riddick move is just, wow. Now they're insulated with their goaltending. The Riley Nash move, what, a seventh-round pick so that you get a guy who at some point could actually be a massive factor for you? Even your guys, Robertson and Sandine, the idea is that those guys are like pieces removed from having to fit into the roster, Mm -hmm. that you're not going to rely on those guys or need to have the dream of relying on those guys. Guys, it's incredible. It, 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 it's truly great. It's a truly great position that they're in today. And it could get even better if they land Jamie. It will get better. Uh, mountain of a man. Perhaps that's coming. Uh, let's talk to Kevin Bieksa next. Uh, it is Good Show. Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, 4759 The Fan. All right, it's NHL trade deadline day. It's Good Show. Sports at 590 The Fan. Ben Ennis. J.D. Bunkus, and it must be a special day because for the first time in what feels like forever, we get to talk to Kevin Bieksa, Hockey Night in Canada fame. Uh, way too big for the show, but joining us either way. What's going on, Kevin? <laughs> what an intro. What's it like I, I think to I'm going yeah. to be very underwhelming for your listeners, I think, today. Wow, thanks a lot. No, just ignore <laughs> us for a year. Big time us for a year, then come slum it and be like, ah, I don't really need to put in any effort for this you show. You guys this have the no worst listening. times for your shows. Why don't you guys get better time <laughs> yeah. slots? Listen, we, we get better don't answer time it. Slots don't if answer. We had the support of people like you that would come on our show and help promote it. You know, that's how that's how we go up to the top. We need people that are up there to throw a rope down to us. You know. Okay, well, I'll do my best to fit you in, but honestly, every time you guys reach out to me, I'm like, oh, that time doesn't work, that time doesn't work. I'd love to come on, but just yeah. make something happen here. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, we're trying. We made it happen. We made an <laughs> NHL trade deadline. So let's just start with this, man. How much better do you think the Leafs are today than they were a couple of days ago? They're better, for sure. I, I think it shows a commitment by Dubas to go out and get a couple guys like this, you know, Riddick. Riddick is just a little bit of an insurance policy. Obviously, Campbell's playing lights out, and we don't know the extent of Freddie's injury, but it sounds like he, he'll be back, I think, at some point for playoffs. So, you know, big save Dave doesn't really have to be big save Dave, right? He just has to be, like, pitch in, and, pitch in once in a while, Dave. So, in that respect, for a guy who hasn't had his best season, he's still a guy who's capable of, of filling in if, if you have to pull Campbell down the stretch, if you have to give Campbell the rest, he's a legit guy who can come in and short spouts and give you some, some quality goaltending. And, and Felino, like I'm sure I'll be talking a lot about him today. I'm a big Felino fan. So I, I always have been, I just think the way, like, let's think about the way these Leafs play during the regular season. Cause the regular season's one, one part of the year, then the playoffs is a whole different beast. You create offense in the regular season a lot differently than in the playoffs. And I think the Leafs create offense in the regular season as well as anybody. They come back to the puck. They swing a lot. They skate the puck through the neutral zone more than anybody. They attack off the rush more than anybody. All that stuff gets way more congested in the playoffs. And if you look at the way their series went last year against Columbus, 
it's a lot more difficult to score off the rush, and it's a lot more difficult to skate through the neutral zone with speed. So guys like Felino and Simmons, that's when those guys become valuable. The guys that are really good down low, use their body to protect the puck, go to the front of the net, really tough guys to move in front, good sticks, good shots, in tight. And Felino, he's tough. Like, I don't know what you guys know about him, but from playing against him, you obviously know his family's a tough family. And you obviously know his brother's a really tough guy in Minnesota, but he could be the toughest out of all of them, sneaky. And he, he's going to help this team in a lot of different ways. And, and I haven't even talked about his character or his integrity yet. He's got a ton. He oozes character and integrity. Yeah. And we're very, very excited for him. We're very, very high on him. That's been well established by us. What we don't know is where you play him. Where, where do you think Felino fits into this roster? Well, the opening projections kind of see him with Taveras and uh, Nylander. And on the power play, you know, you have options if you want to have him in front of the net. He's a, he's a good net front guy. He's, he's really good down puck like the, ch- the Chucks are. Both the Chucks are really good at, you know, popping out from and, and making a nice little pass or doing the Aginla move where you spin and take it to the net. He can do all those things if you need him. Um, I mean, you, you can play him. I, I think he's probably coming in. Probably, well, he's a great teammate. He's been a captain for a long time, so I'm sure he'll accept any role he has. But, you know, I, I just, uh, the way that, that third lines play, the Angval, uh, Mikheyev, and Hyman, the way they played at McDavid and Dreisaitl and how they've really kept those two guys at bay, um, they're, they're a good line to keep together. But again, you have options with Hyman. You can move them up. Galchenyuk, I don't think anyone's, as good as he's playing, I don't think anyone expects him to stay on that top line the rest of the season. You're, you're going to have some movement there. So it basically just gives you options. If you're, if you're Sheldon Keith and you're Manny Mahaltra, you love this because you have options now. You can put them in any, any one of the four lines, really. Yeah, that's what we love about this is that there's so much flexibility with him. I was even noodling on the idea just during the break with Ben about, well, maybe they end up putting Hyman back on a line where he tries to drive it and they have Felino on it too and try to give yourself three lines. There's just all these different possibilities that come with Felino, which is, again, a big reason why you love it. But you said the thing, right, where he's a leader. He's oozes character. We've had opportunities to talk with him. He just seems like, yeah, an all-world kind of guy. And an all-world-cares-about-hockey kind of guy, too. Adds desperation, all of those things. But if you're looking at the team and who comes out, it's got to be Joe Thornton right now. And I don't know how you approach that conversation. And you said if the, whatever the team needs with Felino, right? I assume it's the same way with Joe Thornton. But h- how do you approach that? And do you think that that's a likely possibility that this is what's going to happen, this is the way they balance this thing out? I, I don't think the plan ever was for Joe Thornton to play every game, though. So I think, you know, you just, you just have, to, you have to build your team thinking that, you know, it, it's, it's one thing to build and say, okay, the first, the first game, the first two games after trade deadline, what's my team going to look like? Is everyone going to be happy with the rolls or ice time? I think, like, a really good GM has the foresight to say, let's look, let's look long-term. Are we going to make a Stanley Cup uh, playoff run? If we are there's going to be injuries. There's going to be tons of injuries. There's going to be, you're going to need depth. So maybe you just have to get the guys to understand. Yeah. Maybe there's a little bit of a rotation on the bottom end and, you know, you have Spezza and Thornton and you have Kerfoot and you have, uh, you know, Felino come. You have, you have a lot of guys, you have Engball who he could be plucked out of the lineup. I think if everybody has the big picture in mind, 
and you're a good team with, with good leadership that can keep everyone feeling good about themselves, whether they're playing or not, I think you're really, really going to, you know, you're really going to benefit from it down the stretch. So we can talk right now about who's coming in and out right off the bat, but at, at the end of the day, Thornton's going to have a big role in this playoff run for sure. Molino's going to have to have a big role. Simmons is going to have to have a big role. Whether or not they're going to have a big role every single night, it's probably not going to happen. But, you know, if they had, like, Simmons and Thornton and these guys in top six roles, they probably wouldn't be able to make a long push anyways, right? No, it's a great point. They have depth on depth in the forward ranks, it feels like. That's that's good. They're good, and Nick Robertson's going to apparently play today, and he's now down the line as far as guys that would get into a playoff game if there's there's injuries. The blue line, though, still outside of the top six, and they've been super lucky with injuries on the blue line this year. It's basically been the Jake Muzzin breaking his face for a couple of games, and, and that's it. They, they've been healthy. Hard to imagine you go through, uh, knock on wood, four playoff series without losing a defenseman. That's why I think there's still a huge move, maybe not huge as far as name, but like importance to this team if it wants to go on that deep playoff run today, Kevin. like Where do you view that, that, that thinness on the blue line? Am I overstating it? Well, no, like you said, you're one injury away from being really exposed. So maybe now you uh, dangle Galchenyuk and get a defenseman. <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that's what you do. You take advantage of Galchenyuk playing some good hockey and being on the first line. You're like, okay, let's flip him for a, for a fifth, uh, kind of a fifth uh, or third pair defenseman, a fifth on the depth charts. So, no, that's something that you, you definitely have to be aware of. You obviously can't fill every single void. And, and forecast every single bad possible bad thing to do. You prioritize it and you think, okay, at forward we want, we want to have depth for sure. At goaltending, we definitely need to have a little bit of depth because we're uncertain with, with Freddie. And, you know, as good as Jack Campbell's been, he's never really played, you know, significant playoff time. So priorities, yeah, defense, that, that'd be awesome. I think if you're Kyle Dukes, but again. Did we lose Kevin? I think he there. melted. No, he melted. Yeah. We, we had a back. good f- five minutes with him. Yeah, he was like, that's as much as I'm giving your show. I'm like, bro, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I'm tired. I'm out of here. I'm over this. Uh, I actually would love the idea of them flipping Galchenyuk uh, for something. The only My only counter would be, I do like the insurance he provides you as a top six guy rather than a wild card of using... Uh, using Nick Robertson. My my only thought, again, with Galchenyuk is it's been fine. It's been fine, it's been fine, it's been fine. And I, I know that some people think that he's been a game changer or that he was in some way... Uh, t- to me, the Tavares line with Nylander has looked essentially the exact same with him as it has with anybody else. That they're still not leaning on them for a ton of minutes. I think that says all you need to know about whether he's going to stay there. Uh, to me, you're probably going to want to ask Tavares and Nylander to play more than 17 minutes a night. And you're not doing that with Galchenyuk. He's certainly not playing on your top line with Matthews and Marner. And, like, I, I saw one guy tweet in that that's my, Ma, Matthews had a hat trick. It's like, yeah, they played the Ottawa Senators mm-hmm. on a Saturday night <laughs> with Forsberg in that. I, I yeah, don't think and... that Sheldon Keefe or anyone should be looking at the results of that and saying, oh, wow, you know what they got to do is keep this guy He's up the He's the fixer, lineup. yeah. Right, I think it might on, be that right. Mitch Marner yeah, and Austin Matthews are basically, yeah. they're, they're communicating yeah, on uh, a, a, a telepathic level at this point. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it, that's it. That's the one area where the Leafs don't have a ton of depth is the blue line. So they're going to address it. And as BX was saying, hey, man, you're back. Uh, thank you. You're, you're uh, sorry about that, guys. I, that was actually on purpose. I had enough for you, so I just hung up. That's no, what you said, but, but uh, you're contractually yeah. obligated. That's the problem, huh? Somebody called you and was like, hey, so about the money. Forced <laughs> you got to do it. I'm forced <laughs> yeah. to. I'm forced to. But, yeah, exactly. uh, like, obviously they can't, they can't address every single item on their wish list. But I think three has been pretty good so far. Uh, the contract joke is quite a lie because one of the first things that I did when you signed on with Sportsnet, I was like, what was this guy's career earnings? This guy's going to be like the richest dude who's ever agreed to do this. And he was like, oh yeah, I was right. <laughs> You're rich. Very rich. <laughs> you didn't need it. You love uh, it. Can't oh. complain. There's always another bill to pay. That's, sure. the, that's the problem, yeah. right? No, this, yeah. is, uh, this is your beer money now. <laughs> You're like, what do you guys get paid? Yeah. Wow, that's it, huh? Okay, that's cool. Mm. I'm having fun. I'm enjoying it. So everybody kept doing the Taylor Hall thing, and I think we've all accepted that, all right, they'd rather have Hall uh, on the Bruins, and the Leafs would rather have Felino than Hall. But how do you see that fit in Boston moving forward? Like, do, do, it's hard to quibble with the price for a lottery ticket like that. But do you think it works out? Well, I don't know. I was talking about that earlier with with Vancouver guys. Uh, maybe, maybe it does work out. Maybe it's one of those things. If you look at his numbers, he hasn't scored in over a month, almost a month and a half, and he's only got one goal since January fourteenth. That that's pretty ridiculous for a guy who won the Hart Trophy a few years ago, but. It could be one of those things where his first nine games, he had nine points in Buffalo. And then a combination of the team just losing, being absolutely terrible, no fans in the stands, no no extra motivation. Maybe he just shut her down. Maybe he's just been shutting her down for the last couple months and getting onto a good team uh, with some pretty good players that are in the playoff race. Maybe that rejuvenates him and he comes out of the gates and actually starts to contribute and play like the old Taylor Hall. So that's, that's the silver lining I'm looking at because on paper right away, it doesn't look very good. Like he's had a bad year. He looks disinterested. You know, he's primarily an offensive guy. If he's not contributing offensively, he's probably not doing a whole, whole lot else to help you win. So, you know, two goals is not going to cut it, but I think there's a part and I'm sure Boston believes in this, that he's going to, you know, he's going to come in and he's going to start contributing. Man, the last thing Sabres fans need right now is for Taylor Hall to go to the Bruins, start to care, start to rip it up, and they win a cup, and everyone's going, man, this guy was the X Factor, and Sabres fans go, what did we get for him? Second-round pick. He he dogged it for your team. He scored no goals, and then you got nothing for him. Oof. Uh, well, like, I think they're also they like pretty su- He's probably they're probably pretty surprised that he even chose to go there in the first place. So let's be honest, right? When he chose Buffalo, people are like, what are you talking about? And then they're like, oh, he wants to play with Eichel. He wants a one-year deal. He wants to try to see if he can do something special with a new team. So, yeah, it didn't work out. But who who would it work out with in Buffalo this year? Like, it was just wasn't a very good team or setup all the way around, right? No, it's true. Uh, that was a nightmare scenario, and he didn't get a lot of support. That being said, he didn't finish at the rate that I'm sure he would have liked to have finished, naturally, when you have two goals and you're a former Hart Trophy winner. I wonder if the same can be said a little bit about Felino and the offensive numbers. Like, we know he's a lot uh, longer in the tooth than, than Taylor Hall, but he's joining one of the best offensive hockey teams in all of the NHL. Do you think there's more offense there? Like we, the defense is still good, elite, but is there more offense there than he, he's shown even though he has five more goals than Taylor Hall this season? Yeah, there's more offense there, but it, his 
again, like I just talked about Taylor Hall, how he's not really contributing much unless he's putting points up. I think Felino can contribute in a lot of other ways other than just scoring goals. I think he will score goals. He'll score goals around the net. He'll score goals down the stretch in the playoffs and the greasy games. But he'll be physical. He'll throw big hits. He'll, he'll get on the fortunes. He's got a little bit of intimidation factor. He's really tough if he ever has to actually fight and stick up for a couple teammates. So a lot of different ways. He'll definitely contribute in the, in the dressing room. You know, these are different ways that he'll, he'll be a factor for the Leafs that, you know, Taylor Hall maybe couldn't quite do. So that's why you expect Taylor Hall to put up more points because that's his contribution. Here. I've just been the weird third party standing outside the circle listening in on the conversation. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, throw in my two cents here. Just just want to know if you think that Toronto is on par with Colorado and Tampa Bay yet. I wanted to see if what we heard was not what we thought yeah. we heard, but I think it was hey, Kevin VX getting disconnected don't, for the second. Don't worry. Don't, don't bother. You don't have to don't call, call him back. back. You can just let him. Let Message him sent, okay? Way. We got it. Yeah. Twice disconnected Boy. in the same call. First Dude. time in months we've had yeah. him. And as soon as, like, as we wanted <laughs> Bourne to parachute in, we wanted him to come in and be like, hey, Bourne, if you got something for BX to come back, feel free. You're always welcome. I don't know what the hell was happening with your phone where you kept trying to connect it. You're now on. It's funny because how you're connected to Zoom is through your son's name. And so I don't even know, like, are you using his email? But it keeps saying Charlie this and Charlie to everyone. It's like, hi, Charlie. Virtual, uh, virtual school, dude. <laughs> Yeah, virtual. Oh, right, virtual school. Of course. So he's set up. Your your son is ready for Zoom calls. You are not ready for Zoom calls. This is a bad sign for the guy that's supposed to be standing by for the Zooms. Was watching you clutch and fumble your phone like what I imagine would have looked like had my dad had a smartphone. When you said the whole thing about how you're middle aged, I thought, hey, don't say that about yourself. You're not middle aged, buddy. You're not there. When you said I'm in the middle aged dad phase, after watching you with the Zooms, uh, you. What do you think just happened with the Zooms out of curiosity? I, all I know is that I just kept seeing your face like for yeah. five seconds at a time, and then I'd be like, oh, he's there. Okay, great. And then you'd disappear. No, and then yeah. sometimes yeah. it would go sideways, yeah. and I'm the like, okay, he's go putting it yeah. on a – he's adjusting it. He's putting yeah. it on a stand or something, and then yeah. it's just gone. And then, and then it would just go screen to black. Black <laughs> like, screen and then disappearance and then nothing. It was quite a ride. That was quite a ride. Okay, no, but let's just have this discussion right now. That the question that you asked to BXA, because this is a perfect way to go out. You asked, are they on level with Colorado? I, I'm gonna, I said just when you left, to me, when you look at Toronto, they don't have a fatal flaw. They, the only one right now is blue line where if they lose somebody, but even the blue line depth thing, it's like they have Rasmus Sandin and he's probably not ready for heavy leverage minutes or all this stuff. But you can't tell me that there's five playoff teams that have a guy like Rasmus Sandin that's just sitting there ready for them. Now they've got forward depth to the point where Alex Galchenyuk or Joe Thornton or Bear Banov or Nick Robertson is like your, what, 17, 18th forwards? They have top-end skill. They've got an incredible goaltending duo when healthy. They've got balance on the blue line. Like, I think they're better than Colorado. I think that they are the best team in the NHL as they're currently constituted today. Wow. Um, Yeah, the point, I think, of the NHL is that when you get to the third round of the playoffs, you don't have... You don't have your full roster at your disposal. So the best thing you can do is be one of the top-tier teams. If you're in that top you know, group of five or whatever, and you know, you're going to sustain some injuries, it's tough to predict how it's going to pan out from there. All you can do is get yourself in that group. 
I think pretty clearly this is the first year of the Leafs sort of rebuild from the start of the Shanna plan where you say they're clearly one of those teams that are in the conversation. If they can stay healthy and, uh, you know, bring most of their team to the big dance, particularly the big guns, I like their chances as much as anyone. No, it's a great point because they've had the skill and it was we would go into seasons talking about them being one of those teams and then the season would play out and they'd be third by a mile in that division behind Tampa and Boston. Not only have they played to the top of this division basically all season long, save for that like seven-game run where they got some unlock, they got out goaltended in a couple of those games and played two poor games, but outside of that, they've been remarkably consistent. And then they add the pieces. This is, we're going into a postseason with a feeling we have not yet had, even with the team with, with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and Freddie Anderson at a much better level. There's never been justified this much excitement about a Leafs team going into the postseason. They've never been favored to win two rounds and maybe a third, depending on how they, they, they fare in these first two rounds. This is uncharted waters for, for Leafs fans. You know, the more I the more I think about this here, the more I'm, I think about like the one seeds and the way there is reseeding this year. And, you know, maybe for the Leafs, the, looking you know, at the rest of the season, maybe it's time to start looking at the other one seeds around the NHL and say, you know, let's say we do get through a couple rounds. How important is it that we're not pulling, you know, the first seeded team in the NHL come the third round, finishing as the fourth of the number one seed? So uh, points are going to matter as they get deeper in playoffs. I don't know. Maybe it sounds like hubris a bit thinking that deep into the postseason, but for a team that does have cup aspirations, it might be worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, I think it's absolutely worthwhile. How, how could it not be? The one thing I do think is going to be a little overstated is the impact of having crowds or having fans in the stands because I don't think any arena is going to be full, and when they're not full, it doesn't ever feel that great. I, I don't think it's going to feel like amazing playoff hockey at any point. But, yeah, man, I... Uh, Dude, it's going to be Tampa Bay winning the cup in front of 20,000 people this year. I'm convinced of yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, Bourne. Uh, yeah, and you can listen and watch uh, more of Justin Bourne, Sportsnet, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Uh, happy trade deadline, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye.